Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. And multiple people can download it. All right, we're recording. And here we go. I'm Isaac Morehouse, a longtime Bitcoin fan, entrepreneur, lover of freedom. I've got three gentlemen here with me to discuss Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin SV. So guys, why don't you introduce yourselves briefly and let us know which of those coins you're more bullish on before we jump in. Steve, start with you. Hi there. So Steve Patterson, uh, I'm a philosopher, an author. I've got a website, steve-patterson.com. I've got a podcast, Patterson in Pursuit. I've been a Bitcoiner for many years. I uh, wrote my first book on Bitcoin back in 2014. Um, just been involved in the space for, for many years. People in my family too. It's, I've got a, a brother who's a co-founder of Open Bazaar. My wife was an early employee at BitPay. So just been involved in the space for a while. I'd say right now I am more bullish on, on Bitcoin Cash than BSV and looking forward to discussing it with you guys. Awesome. Derek. I was really hoping Steve was going to call himself a philosopher king. <laughs> just a philosopher. But yeah, um, yeah so I, I'm Derek. Um, I uh, got involved in Bitcoin, I think it was, it was 2013, I believe. Um, I had uh, running the Libertarian Club at the University of Michigan and had the opportunity to actually host the uh, first uh, Bitcoin event, public Bitcoin event there um, with Jeffrey Tucker. He came out and spoke and with the, uh, what, what became the Blockchain Education Network at the time, it was the College Cryptocurrency Network. Um, started writing a lot about Bitcoin after the Bitcoin Cash Fork. Uh, after I had a, a car ride with Steve that convinced me not to give up on Bitcoin. And um, a lot of that writing uh, ended up being pretty popular last year. Um, my Bitcoin writing uh, did about 120,000 views in 2018 and uh, got to do a lot of fun stuff. Um, and uh, right now, I am a bit more excited about Bitcoin SV. You'll see that I have a, a Bitcoin SV duck mug. Can you see the little ducks? Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I can't remember where I got this, but... Um, uh, we'll get into why. Um, I, I, I still like both. I would say I'm probably in the middle between TK and, and Steve um, on this issue. We'll see though. TK. Hey, what's up guys? I'm TK. True Coleman. believer in Satoshi's vision. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> TK on the outside, Satoshi on the inside. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, so I'm an entrepreneur and an educator, um, and I first heard about Bitcoin about six years ago when I when I had to fill in for Isaac uh, to speak at a university at a, at a libertarian conference. And during the Q and A, all the kids there, bunch of anarchists and so forth, started asking me about Bitcoin, and I, I couldn't even talk about it at all. I had never heard of this thing, um, and so I came back and I bookmarked a bunch of YouTube videos and never watched them. Then Steve Patterson came out with his book, What's the Big Deal About Bitcoin? I bought that, put that on the shelf, never read it. Uh, Isaac <laughs> called me multiple times and said, dude, you need to get involved in this. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it. And it was just one of those things that was really interesting, theoretically, but just busy life focusing on other things, never got into it. Then when we got to the all-time highs around like late 2017, early 2018, when Bitcoin went up uh, like close to like 20G, I just felt like this immense regret because it was literally the only time in my life where I did not pursue one of my weird, crazy interests. And it's that one time that it just like went really, went, went really high up. It could have made me a lot of money. <laughs> so, you, did, you did remember though at the all time high. Oh yeah. Isaac gave me like half a Bitcoin years ago. And when you were like, man, I think I missed the boat. It's $75 already. You know, <laughs> well, here's the best part about that. You, you hounded me multiple times about, setting up a wallet just so you could give me this Bitcoin. And, and, and one of our mutual friends went and, and did that for me because <laughs> I just kept slowing around with it. And you guys forced this half of Bitcoin on me. And, and, and that was the thing that kind of saved the day. But I made up my mind at that point that, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to miss out again on this thing that could possibly change the world and change my life. So I'm just going to start studying it and reading about it as much as I can. I consider myself a novice, more of an investor rather than a believer. Uh, and we can talk more about that later. But yes, I'm, I'm bullish on BSV. And that's pretty much at this point, the only thing in the crypto space that is capable of, of really commanding my attention. So let me ask you guys, would you rather just jump right into BCH and BSV stuff? Or do you want to touch briefly on BTC? Uh, why none of you are like BTC is the way or a, or a, what do they call them? Toxic maximalists or whatever these days. Do you want to just skip over that? Or do you want to touch on it? Well, I mean, I'm sure it'll come up in some capacity. Okay, let's regardless. dive right into BCH and BSV. Suffice to say, uh, you know, we're, we're having this conversation because we're the most interested in those two um, versions of Bitcoin right now. And I will also say none of us with the maybe exception of Steve, partial exception of Steve at least, are like technical people. Uh, none of us are coders anyway. Um, just uh, very, very interested sort of lay people and fans of the philosophy behind Bitcoin. So um, you technical nerds, you know, if you're looking for debates about shore signatures or whatever, <laughs> go somewhere else. Um, although Steve could probably roll with that stuff. I like uh, that you've already mispronounced it, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Schnork, schnorks. I don't know. I've read it. I haven't heard it talked about. Um, all right. I want to jump in on and have each of you give your best bear case for the, for the coin that you said you were the most excited about. So I want you to give the bear case, Steve, for BCH. Mm. What are the negatives and the things that could kill it or that you worry about? And then Derek and TK for BSV. Yeah, I think, so I learned a lot about um, how business works um, from observing very closely what happened with BTC. There's some things that happened with BTC that I just could not have predicted because I thought things were really clear about what would make 
business sense and like what was in the interest of everybody in the, uh, in the industry. I didn't realize that drama and um, bad technical ideas, um, bad economic ideas could completely derail the project. And I do see the rumblings of something similar in BTC right now. Um, I do think that there is a, there's always a risk of developer capture that we've seen in Bitcoin where you have, you always have small groups of technically minded people who um, have a, a disproportionate amount of influence over the network than other industry participants. And that might, we, we might see something like developer capture happen in Bitcoin cash. Um, there's a lot of, totally to my surprise, after the BTC-BCH split, where I thought there was a, a, sh a shared philosophy among Bitcoin cashers about the role of businesses, maybe the role of developers. Um, uh, I, I thought there was a shared philosophy, and it turns out there isn't. There's still a lot of anti-business sentiment in Bitcoin Cash, you have some developers that are in Bitcoin Cash that their ideal envisioning of the system of how Bitcoin integrates into the world is that there are no things like payment processors. Maybe there aren't big companies. And I just can't get excited about that. Um, so right now, I think Bitcoin Cash is at kind of an interesting position where if things go more in the direction of maybe development capture and less business, business usage and really focusing on the small players instead of the big players, I see that as probably the biggest uh, threat right now to Bitcoin Cash. TK, hmm. what do you think on the BSV side? You can't give me the like Panglossian, it, it is all perfect take. Come on. Yeah, so I, I mean, if you listen to the critics of BSV, um, I think the only bear case that the overwhelming majority of them are capable of making is one that appeals to uh, Craig Wright and Calvin and skepticism they have about their trustworthiness. I actually don't think that's part of a bear case at all. I don't think that's a, a point of concern at all. If anything, I think that's a feature rather than a bug. I think the, the best bear case I can come up with for BSV would be something that has nothing to do with what's taking place in the crypto world. Has nothing to do with what BTC is doing or what BCH is doing. It has, it has everything to do with what's happening in the real world that could affect adoption, right? So there are two blockchain battles we're having right now. One is the blockchain battle of like, how can the different versions of Bitcoin outcompete each other? But then that other blockchain battle, which is far more important is, how can we convince the world who doesn't care about all of these Twitter infights to even care about what we're doing enough to use it versus the options that they already have, which are far more user friendly. And, and, and I think it's a race against time. So the bear case against BSV would be, even though we have the block sizes to take on a lot of transactions, we don't have enough time to onboard enough activity in order to be able to um, to last long enough to be able to claim victory. I think that's a real problem. And I think way too many people take adoption for granted. Having the capacity for transactions doesn't mean we're going to actually get them. Yeah, it's funny, the taking for granted thing. You know, the when I first got interested in this stuff, the more I learned, there was almost this feeling of inevitability about it. You know, well, once you have this distributed, decentralized ledger that no one can kill, words like immutable and all this stuff, it's like the world's just changed. It's only a matter of time. And it's easy to fall into that and not realize that like anything like money, a medium of exchange, any large social technology that involves people voluntarily choosing to use it, 
is utterly useless no matter how beautiful it is. You could invent a new language or programming language that's just airtight and better than anything that's existed. And if nobody uses it, even for irrational reasons, uh, there's no value. And I think that that thread is underestimated uh, by a lot of people in in crypto. Yeah. And I want to piggyback on that because we saw something that happened to BTC that was really, I guess it's sad or funny. I'm not exactly sure the correct description of it, but I really think the underlying technology of Bitcoin is a world changer itself. And it was so good and so revolutionary and so superior. All that had to happen is not breaking it. (laughs) Don't radically change the design of the system because it works. And it by itself, I think, had enough momentum where that $20,000 price that it hit would be nothing compared to it would be in 10 or 20 years. Total, all that speculation would be totally justified so long as you don't screw the damn thing up. And yet, for, for, whatever, for, for a whole myriad of reasons, it still got screwed up. So I also had the, the feeling of the inevitability and then that kind of got smashed into reality. We got real humans making decisions where they, they don't see it that way. Derek, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to you in one second, but I just, I, I can't, I think of this analogy all the time as somebody with kids I feel like kids, we have this idea that like you have to force kids to learn and it's this really hard thing to figure out. How do we make kids learn? Do we sneak learning into cartoon shows? And it's, and it's similar to how I felt about Bitcoin. If you just leave kids alone, they can't, humans are like insatiable learners and they will yeah. try learning so much it will drive you crazy. You actually have to beat it out of them and like put them into schools and create all these structures that make them hate learning. You have to proactively prohibit that. And that's kind of how I felt when I started to realize the Bitcoin stuff was getting all screwed up with the block limits. Like all you have to do is not do anything to it. You know? Derek, what is your bear case on the BSV side? It's kind of a mix of what everyone else has already said. I think that, um, I, I do think it's a really a race against time. And I think that every time we see a new Bitcoin fork, and I think we saw this with Bitcoin cash too. And I sort of fell into the, uh, the, uh, uh, a rosy thinking is that okay? This time around, it's all going to be great. We have the right tech, and now Finally, we're just on the this. lessons have been learned. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And we're on the path to success, and like it's guaranteed. You know, there's there's always this mindset in each of the Bitcoin forks that it's guaranteed. And I would like to see a bit more pessimism, to be honest, because it's been ten years, or it's been you know, I mean, it's even longer than that now, and, and that to me is 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 damning evidence. I mean, sure, it's still around, but how big of an impact has it actually had? I mean, certainly it's had some, certainly it's been interesting, but a lot of things have caught up to some of the value propositions of Bitcoin in the, that, that, that did not exist at the time that Bitcoin was created. I mean, I can send money for free you know, right now. Now, I have problems doing that. Like I had to send $1,000 to someone with Cash App the other day. And... Um, they like froze the account, you know, on both sides for anti-money laundering things and stuff like that. So all of those things still exist. But <clears throat> I do think that things like transaction costs and transaction speed, some of those things um, for a lot of daily use have been, uh, have been sort of solved at the, uh, the level of sort of traditional payment processors. And it's just sad that you know, there was this, this, this window of time where Bitcoin had a value proposition that no one could compete with. And that some of that has slowly gotten chipped away uh, as people have gotten distracted. So I guess, you know, time to me is, is a huge one. Um, I, I do think transaction volume matters, though I will get into maybe later on why I think that uh, uh, Bitcoin SV might be slightly better positioned 
when things like the happenings occur. Um, another one is, um, you know, <clears throat> I do think there are reputational concerns. I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, as, as much as I don't think that appealing to the industry is the most important thing, uh, I do think that Bitcoin SV has taken some unnecessary reputation hits that will slow its development and looks shady to people uh, who are potentially new investors. How important that is, is, is debatable, um, but it, it, it creates question marks, I think, uh, for a lot of influential people. You know, um, I don't think it was good to lose someone like Roger Ver, for example. I think that was a bad idea. I also don't really, I don't really like the idea of betting against Bitcoin.com and Roger. I think they have a really good track record overall. Um, that to me is, 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 is a bear sign as well, you know, to be honest, um, when, when one of the most influential people in the space, um, has not sort of, sort of come over to Bitcoin SV, um, that tells me something. And, um, I guess the other one too, is like, we need to remember, and I think sometimes it's forgotten that this is still a social phenomena, whether it's in Bitcoin SV or Bitcoin cash, as much as you talk about locking the protocol down, you know, I want to see what that looks like in practice and whether that can actually happen uh, in a meaningful way, because until then it's all talk. And there is a lot of talk on the Bitcoin SV side and some of it's really exciting and some of it sounds like, like talk. You know, I, th- I think that pervades all the forks. This code is law idea is, I think it's really warped. It's like, yeah, code is law and everything will be perfect as long as no humans ever like use it or interact with it or exert their will or rewrite the code, right? It's like constitutionalists who believe that because it's written on the constitution, that's somehow like a protection from real world actors who would abuse it. Like, I think that's a, that's one of the dangerous things that's, that's, caused a lot of people to be lax about the inevitability of the technology on, on all the forks. Yeah. So it's dangerous on both for all the forks. I just right now in Bitcoin SV, it seems like people are not as worried about it because there is this idea that they're going to lock the protocol down. And if, if that can happen in some significant way, then awesome. But like, let's come on. I mean, it, you know, for me saying the right things only goes so far in how much I trust you, you know, it's because it's a lot of these right things were said in Bitcoin Cash early on, too. And a lot of these promises in Bitcoin Cash were not kept. So let, let's see what happens um, before we, we go all in on this thing is going to completely dominate the world, is, is my opinion. Yeah, a couple notes on the locking down the protocol thing. Like I very much sympathize with the idea and the words. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. You don't want to just arbitrarily change the protocol and then break a bunch of businesses that are built on top of it. But the way that it's spoken about in BSV makes it sound like it's a technical thing that can't be changed. And that's just not true at all. At the end of the day, what what, uh, BSV got right with the BCH-BSV split is that the miners are the ones in charge who are determining what the protocol is in practice. So even if the rhetoric is, hey, we're not going to fundamentally change the protocol because it's locked down right now, even if that's true right now because that's the culture in BSV, if you imagine BSV grows and suddenly Craig and Calvin are 20% of the mining share of BSV, they can't magically ensure that the protocol doesn't change. It's still majority miners at the end of the day making that decision. So, so, so Steve, I, I wanted to... <clears throat> go ahead, TK. Just, just a quick question yeah. in response to that. 
how would that be different from the concerns that are inherent in like a 51% attack? I mean, if, if we're saying that the concern is that they would control most of the mining power and then corrupt the system, how would that be just different than what can happen anywhere? So I'd say it depends on how you define a 51% attack. This is actually an interesting question because it gets to what happened with the BCH-BSV split, because there are people in the BCH community who see that split as a 51% attack. Um, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think it's just a legitimate split that happened. We had a, it was framed correctly from the BSV side as a hash war, and it's just BCH won the hash war. Like Roger and Jihan put enough hash rate behind BCH where they got more hash rate. And so they kept the, the ticker symbol. Um, but a 51% attack you can think of as it being uh, like malicious in the sense that miners don't confirm your transactions, or maybe they allow for some double spins um, at, at the chain tip. Um, it's something like it's, it's a majority of miners trying to actively break the usability of the network. Rather, if you have a 51% of the miners changing the protocol, it might be because they think to themselves, hey, this is going to be an upgrade. This is a, we're going to add some new feature that we like, and it just so happens to break other existing features. So it would still be a change in the protocol, but it wouldn't be an attack because it's not, you're not trying to destroy the value proposition of the network. So I wanted to start with the bear case from, from each of you guys. One, because I'm, I'm curious to hear it, but two, because I think it's so important to, if, you, if you're interested in Bitcoin to be a part of it, to like treat the actual challenges and objections and pitfalls as realities. I, I've often thought that, uh, and we've all talked about this in various ways, that it, that one of the scariest things to see is the unwillingness to listen to anyone who doesn't have anything but like good news uh, to share on crypto yeah. Twitter or whatever. And I, I actually think Peter Schiff is probably says some of the most intelligent things about Bitcoin of anyone. Like pretty much all of his objections are really good, solid objections that are worth listening to and worth treating seriously and with respect yeah. and not like, oh, what a cranky idiot. You're just sad that you missed out on the, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're secretly buying Bitcoin. But like, what does that do? They engage with this stuff. This is one of the most genuine guys in the sort of sound money space. Those are things that are good to have to answer for, you know? Um, and so I just think it's really healthy to be able to, to talk about that. So well, I want to have another opportunity to shit on uh, BTC where without the one megabyte block size cap, Peter Schiff's arguments would have a lot less persuasive power because a lot of times they come down to, well, look, it's ex extremely expensive to use Bitcoin anyway, to transact with Bitcoin anyway. And that's an argument that has merits because in practice, BTC Bitcoin is, doesn't make sense with high transaction fees. It's just, that's a failure of BTC, not Bitcoin. And I haven't really heard him seriously engage with big block Bitcoin because he kind of has this easy straw man to punch at. If it's no easier to use than gold, then why do you need digital gold? Right. You might as well just use old fashioned. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so that being said, you guys have shared the, you know, the potential pitfalls and concerns you have. Why are you bullish on your respective uh, coins? And if you want to take pot shots at the other coins uh, and just really get this thing, the rumble started, <laughs> go for it. Who wants to jump in first? What, what makes you excited and think that there's a, a good future for BSV or BCH? I can, I can jump in. Um, so for me, I, I think, first, I don't look at this as a believer. I look at this as a better. Um, I don't think it's ever healthy to define your relationship to a blockchain 
primarily by belief, loyalty to an ideology, loyalty to a community. I think it's best to hold your positions with self-interest. It's kind of like something that we've all seen in libertarian communities where there's such a sense of loyalty to the, to the church, so to speak, that every time a libertarian does something stupid, people feel the need to give an account for it, to explain it away, to defend it, to disassociate themselves. If only people knew that one of the biggest problems with libertarians is that they're not self-interested enough, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And and, and I, I think when you look at yourself as a believer, then when people make criticisms of your position, they ask tough questions about it. They say, hey, this person in your community said something stupid. You get all nervous and you have to like defend it. Uh, But when you're a better or an investor, that means you're just willing to take a chance on something because you see promising indications. You, You think that it has, you have beliefs about the future and you believe that this particular thing is well positioned to succeed in the future, Uh, but you hold it lightly. So when it comes to BSV, I believe that it's well positioned to succeed in the future. And I can say that without, you know, worrying too much about the possibility of being wrong. But for me, it started when I read Unwriters, The Resolution of the Bitcoin Cash Experiment. Mm-hmm. And he, he talked about the reasons that he wanted to build on top of the BSV blockchain and laid out some of his criticisms of BCH. At that time, I didn't really understand it a lot to know the technical differences, but it made me really interested in seeing what's going on with BSV. And that's when I started to read about the meta net and not only all of the different creative uses that that the BSV blockchain can make, but also the relevance that it had to onboarding the broader world onto the blockchain. I love what Roger Ver did, you know, a few years ago where he would go to a bunch of individual businesses and get them to accept Bitcoin. I thought that was really cool, but that strikes me as something that is about five years too old. That, That doesn't strike me as the approach that's going to achieve global adoption in the future. And I believe that with some of the things that BSV is doing with the MetaNet, it's a way of onboarding people that doesn't require them to understand Bitcoin, that doesn't require them to care about the potential of Bitcoin for a currency, but it's allowing them to solve problems at an enterprise level. And I think that's just a better onboarding strategy. And when I listen to these people in BCH talk about the MetaNet, MetaNet, they basically seem to have two responses, that it's silly or that it's secondary. On the silly side, they, they dismiss it as spam or say that it's not going to work or that it's stupid. And I find those arguments to be unconvincing. And on the secondary side, they say, yeah, 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 there may be some potential there, but let's, let's take care of electronic cash first. And then maybe we can come back to that and see what else the blockchain could be useful for. But let's lock down the killer app first. And I find that approach to be, to be unconvincing as well, because I just don't think for the people outside of crypto there is any reason at all, for the most part, to use crypto when you consider the difficulties that they have to go through to access it and use it. And I think if there was, we'd see much more global adoption. But I, I think Meta, I think BSV has a lot more activity on it, a lot more cool projects happening, a better onboarding plan. And it's, it's the one blockchain that is constantly generating activity and discussion, which which I consider to be very appealing to an investor if you want to constantly learn about and evaluate what it is that you're betting on. So TK, um, tell me if if I'm right in this. It kind of sounds like you're, you're saying two different things. One of the things you're excited about is kind of this grassroots individual person getting excited, playing around with BSV 
But on the other hand, you're saying tactically that the way that adoption is going to happen is going to be like large institutions, corporations using the blockchain for not for cash, but for some sort of ledger, logistics tracking, whatever. It not seems like those money. are those are two different things. And and the and the latter, if that's the adoption tactic, wouldn't that make the thing you said you were not concerned about, which is like the personalities and the sort of alienation of somebody like Craig or Calvin, the end chain sort of personalities, if they are really sort of people that normal business people want to keep at arm's length and they're suing people and all this kind of stuff. Doesn't that make that approach of like, we're going to go get a couple of humongous corporations to partner? Like what corporation would be like, yeah, I want to partner with that guy. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like sure. that wild card X factor is just a really big negative to that particular adoption strategy. I think that's a good question. I, I think on both the BSV and anti-BSV sites, the importance of how everyone sees Craig Wright is highly overestimated by everyone. So on, on the anti-BSV side- Including Craig Wright? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that remains to be seen. We, we shall see on that one. Um, I look at the whole Craig Wright fiasco, by the way, as like a boxing match that's going to happen at some point in the future. We can have our arguments and debates about who's going to win, uh, but at some point, someone's going to win or lose. And, um, and that debate will get settled. I think that's you think, you think there will be like a definitive winner loser scenario. I just kind of feel like this ongoing, like whatever ambiguity of haters and fans will continue in perpetuity. So, so here's what I mean by that. So I think no matter what happens with Craig, Wright, let, let, let's say that he just presented massive proof of having written the right white paper and so forth, no matter what happens, he's so polarizing that there will always be people who deny that he's Satoshi no matter what. I don't think anything can possibly change that. And I also believe that even if he was embarrassed in some unprecedented way, there will always be people who will hold out for the belief that he is. And one could make the case that a mountain of evidence has been presented already that makes him look like he's lying about it, right? So I think both belief in Craig Wright as Satoshi and disbelief in him will be more resilient than the actual status of his Satoshiness, so to speak. But, but when I say I think both sides overestimate the importance of this, here's what I mean. I think in BSV, there seems to be this sense of inevitability that if Craig Wright can prove in the courts that he's Satoshi, then yay, we're, we're going to win because of that. And I, and I think that presupposes a second thing, which is Satoshi can't lose. And I don't see any reason why we should just automatically assume that. Even if he's Satoshi and he has a superior knowledge, he's still a human being, right? And human beings can lose in a lot of different ways, some fair, some unfair. And on the anti-BSV side, I think we overestimate it. I think they overestimate it because they assume that the world cares about, about the infights that are happening in the little church community. And I think to the broader world, this is like some Baptist church, you know, in, in somewhere in Memphis that nobody knows or cares about. And there are two people in the choir that are fighting with each other. And it's never going to matter to the broader world because the broader world only cares about usefulness. I don't think Craig matters. I, I, and I think it's funny that people always say it doesn't matter who Satoshi is unless Satoshi is Craig Wright. So, or so who, Craig who's, pushing the, who's pushing the tactic of going and trying to get these massive sort of corporate use cases? Where, so where I, is I that think, being done? I think Craig Wright is pushing that. Okay. I think Craig and Calvin and Chain, I think they're pushing that. So you think that adoption does rely on the effectiveness of them as business partner, you know, seekers? 
I, I think it relies on the effectiveness of their ideas, their strategy, and the implementation thereof. And I think Craig Wright is surrounded by a variety of people who are much better than him at certain things. Like, I think Craig and Jimmy both know that Jimmy is a better, more mainstream-friendly communicator, for example. I don't think anybody in Craig's camp disputes that, right? And so I, I think he's surrounded by the kinds of people that are capable of executing that strategy. I'm not afraid that Craig himself and his personality is going to undermine the usefulness of BSV. So the only main difference between the, your bull case for BSV and what you could also say for BCH is, correct me if I'm wrong, that the BCH focus on cash first, cash first, cash first, you think is an incorrect strategy, less likely to lead to mass adoption than the more meta net, let's use it for everything um, approach. And, and, and I would add to that, with the exception of B, BCH's quest for anonymity, BSV can already do everything that BCH can do. And it is striving to do so much more that BCH doesn't even seem interested in doing. So um, I want to ask one question. When, you, when you're talking about the meta net as a... Oh, there we go. I'm back. I froze up for a second. If you were talking, just pick right up. Yeah. So, Did I um, freeze? No. Okay. Um, so if the meta net is another use case, um, I think that's cool. Like I'm, I totally agree with the idea of everybody should be trying to use the blockchain however they can in whatever way they think is best. So I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the ideas that are coming from a small group of uh, maybe some developers in BCH that you could you're spamming the blockchain and if you use it in a way that they personally disagree with. But concretely speaking, what do you mean by the metanet? Can you clarify that idea for me? Yeah. So I would say the internet on the blockchain. So what it, on the blockchain? Or, 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 or let me try to say it another way. I would say the blockchain as the foundation for information exchange, cloud okay. storage, and cloud computing. Okay. So is, and, is, think about it in terms of like, and I think this is an interesting thing in the way that people respond to, to BSB and the MetaNet. I don't think anybody really had much of a hard time understanding Ethereum. And when Ethereum talked about this concept of a, of a world computer, everyone was excited about it. And then I think all of a sudden, because Craig Wright, when BSV started talking about all that stuff in a much better way, it, it, it became a problem all of a sudden. But I, but I, I would say in, in a, in a, it could be understood in a similar way. So is part of that idea that the data that is found in the blockchain is immutable, just like the transaction history is immutable? Yes. Okay, so this is where I this is where I immediately disagree because this is one of those the technical things that I don't consider myself a technical person at all, but I have a little bit of of knowledge in this area and I see it as undercutting some of the value proposition of the metanet. Um, so the way that data is being stored in the blockchain right now is through this thing called op return. Details don't matter. You just think of it as a bag that's attached to transactions. Now. Miners right now are uh, lumping together transactions with the bag. And so they're kind of all there on the blockchain. However, uh, in the future, it's very likely or inevitable that they're going to get rid of that bag and only keep the transaction history without the op return data. So the, the pitch of the immutability of the data being akin to the immutability of transactions is not correct. 
That's not, the, that's not what's going to happen because you, can, you can't take out trans, transaction history from the blockchain without destroying the blockchain. You can prune away the opportune data without destroying the blockchain. And, it's, and as the opportune data keeps growing, if you're using it for uploading various things, it's inevitably going to be pruned. Um, so the miners aren't going to be holding on to it. So that, when I, so that, that point for me, it, it makes me think, okay, well, maybe there are use cases for putting data inside OpReturn, but if part of the value pitch is the immutability of it, that's a, that's a mistake. And it actually, a lot of the economics use cases don't make too much sense to me because in the circumstance when you're trying to use the blockchain for data management, you have to pay a ton of money to upload the data to the blockchain. And if the data is not being held by the miners, you could just use a different service to upload that uh, data. So I'm not making the argument that nobody should be allowed to upload data to the blockchain. That's not the case at all. There, of course, there could be use cases. I'm just saying the value pitch of opportune data being the same as immutable transaction history is not correct. So l- let me try to respond to that because I want to make sure that I'm not being imprecise here. So I, I, I'm using immutability as synonymous with that which cannot be deleted as opposed to that which cannot be be censored or suppressed or, or not communicated in some way. So when, when people in BSV talk about the metanet, th- there's often a concern expressed about immutability uh, in terms of like the exchange of illegal information, right? If, so- if someone uploads illegal photography or whatever on, on the internet, on the metanet, that one of the responses to that is that pruning is possible. Yeah. So I, I could just be using language imprecisely, in, in but, but there's nothing about the MetaNet project that, is, that excludes the value of pruning. Like, so that is something that's acknowledged. So can you give me a, a circumstance in which, so, so part of the idea, because I, I, like, I like some parts of this idea. Um, part of the idea is that the people that will be storing the data that's non-transactional data are going to be archival nodes. They're not going to be mining nodes. They're going to be like a separate group of people that store the opportune data. I think that is correct. That is going to happen. Okay. One way or another, that's going to happen. Okay. However, if you're talking about large amounts of data and you're having non-miners who are storing the data anyway, why would you put, why would you give data to a separate party to store after it's been put through the transaction mining process versus just giving it to that third party anyway, without paying the, the mining fees? So, so give me an example of this so I can think about it. Oh, oh, okay, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so imagine I'm trying to upload a picture to the blockchain. And let's just say it cost me a dollar to upload a picture to the blockchain. And that's just ones and zeros, let's say, inside of a bunch of transactions. So that data in OpReturn now is going to be stored by, let's say, an archival node. Okay, so it gets mined, it goes, it goes through the mining process, which is very expensive. And then the OpReturn data is stored by a third party that wasn't involved in mining. Okay, so I've paid a dollar to upload my photo to a third party that, aren't, that isn't the miners, right? So why would I do that? What is the case for me doing that versus just uploading it for a penny with, through Amazon? I got what you're saying. Okay, so if there are cases in which it is more expensive to upload data on the internet, on the metanet, why would I do it there at all? The only value add that it offers is that it's cheaper, right? 
That's what it's mean. it's something like that. Yeah, I I could see that because that, the that, end result is the same. It's going to be stored in some third party server that's that right. is has all the same vulnerabilities as if you just started there. It, exactly, and and the and there's <clears> one one critical thing is you can imagine a scenario in which all of the data that's inside the blockchain has to be stored like the transaction history has to be stored. Like just like you can't remove a transaction without breaking the blockchain, you can imagine a blockchain that's so constituted where the op return data is as essential as the transaction history. Now in that case, that's a different value proposition. Now you are talking the miners themselves have to have access to this data. And okay, then, then I could see they're more of a plausible use case. But when there's already the separation of the archival from the mining, then I'm like, well, okay, what's, why would I do that? So are you saying this is the case? Because I, I want to make sure that it's not just a matter of expense, right? That it's cheaper to store on Amazon versus the MetaNet and the situation that you described. Are you also saying in storing it on the MetaNet would not only be more expensive, but it also would be just as vulnerable, just as insecure, and just as, as, as impermanent as yeah. storing it on, on, on Amazon? That's a really good question. And I think the answer is uh, no. I think you would have a little bit more security in the sense that I think it's more likely for Amazon, one company, to take down your data than if you have a bunch of different competing archival nodes that are, let's say, different companies all have access to that data. So I do think there is, there is some truth to say that the data that's uploaded in OpReturn will be around longer than, or maybe it's more secure than if it was just an Amazon host. But I think it, for me, it's like a, a matter of cost. So it, it, I, I, I'm not sure. I just want to know what the actual use sure. case is for yeah, that. Yeah, why, why does somebody say, oh my God, that's amazing. I, I've been dying to do that. Yeah. Right. Well, well, yeah, I'm sorry. And one more way, maybe just to phrase it is, if it's the case that there is some data that Amazon might take down because it breaks laws, is it the case that putting it on the blockchain and having these archival services is going to make you, it's like less likely to get that data taken down. I mean, if it's already going to be taken down from companies anyways, it seems like, well, the, the, the archival services could just prune it out of the blockchain as well. That, yeah. That's something I've been really confused about with the BSV value proposition. Um, because back at the initial split, there seemed to be a lot of talk from everybody who was for big blocks um, about things that are really important to Bitcoin, which BTC also shares, by the way, which is, you know, it's just they wanted the block so small that no one could use it anyway, but it, which is just that, you know, it's absent third party sort of sensor, if you want to call it that, or approver and all this, know your customer laws, all this different stuff. If you want to escape a horrible government's fiat currency, even if they make it illegal, this might be your lifeline. Whether it's legality or just companies trying to sue you, the ability to go peer to peer, that's really, really important. And then something weird started to happen out of the, the camp that split into BSV, particularly Craig Wright, sort of in some of his talks and stuff, where it was all of a sudden like, no, 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 no. The, the value is that you can, I don't know if censor is the right word, but that like Bitcoin SV is the ultimate way to track illegal behavior and shut it down. Like it became the opposite of kind of how it was framed. And it wasn't, I'm not saying just the framing of like black market stuff, because it goes way beyond just that. But like, hey, you, you don't have to get approved by somebody to sort of like, yeah, it's the ultimate form of surveillance and approval and and I'm really confused on like, 
what is BSV in relation to interfering with people who make transactions on the blockchain of any kind? I, and, and how does that compare to the BCH uh, approach? Is that, is that kind of clear? I'm only sort of clear. I, I'll the, say something. Yeah, um, go ahead. And uh, sorry, I've been a little, little silent. I, uh, having a newborn is, uh, takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Congratulations. And um, man, I, I've been running on low sleep for, <laughs> for two weeks almost now. Um, so, so I wish I, I wish I had, I wish I was a bit higher energy today, but um, I've thought a lot about this because I am very much someone who uh, does not like the state um, and values individual freedom. Uh, I think that for all the rhetoric about catching bad guys, which like I'm sympathetic to, at the same time, I think there are unintended consequences to endorsing that kind of uh, state of affairs where, you know, in the beginning, uh, a piece of uh, legislation or a piece of technology is used to go after a terrorist, and then suddenly it's being used to surveil good people. Um, and that's what happens. So it's not just like, you know, and I think sometimes I see a little bit of naivety, naivete in, in the Bitcoin SV side where they are seemingly unaware of the fact that abuse of power can happen and that people don't always do the exact right thing. So, you know, part of the point is to take away that power entirely, which I, 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 I this is why I like the idea of setting the locking the protocol down. But, um, I will say, I guess my, my argument against the idea that, that this is, is too important is that if anything that Craig is saying about Bitcoin's use as a surveillance technology is true, I think it's going to be true for the other chains right now too. Um, if it's not true, then I don't think it's even relevant. So it's more a statement of fact than it is a, a strategy or a plan going forward. Well, it could, it, I, I can see it as a marketing strategy, the idea that you know, Bitcoin being branded as, as, as like criminal money is a dangerous path to take. I can see yeah. that. So, so um, saying, hey, look, rather than the new way to launder money, this actually yeah. makes laundering money way, way harder than using cash or something yeah. else. And, and I, I do think there's some evidence to suggest that, uh, you know, we've already seen people get arrested for making drug deals with Bitcoin in the early days. Like we, we've mm -hmm. seen a lot of this kind of stuff and it is a public ledger. So I do think that some of the crypto anarchist rhetoric around Bitcoin in the early days was misguided and was wrong and just kind of spun out of control. Like, I mean, you could even look back in the early days, people were all saying it was anonymous and then they were like, wait a minute, well, it's not really anonymous, you know? It's like, it's, it's more like synonymous. You know, it's, it's not fully anonymous. Um, I think it's a statement of fact. I mean, you could argue that Bitcoin Cash or B BTC, you know, in, that, in those communities, they want to develop more technologies to mm -hmm. allow or to distance themselves from that. But ultimately, my thought is really, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a statement of fact. Now, whether it's true or not is a separate issue, but it, it's not a statement where, you know, I have to worry about it. Because on the one hand, if it is true, it's just going to be true, no matter what fork I'm using. And if it's not true, then, then I don't even care about it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I would disagree with that. Oh, go ahead, TK. Well, I was going to say one thing about that, too, is that, and I do want a chance to, to give one last comment about the data storage, but I'll come back. But Craig isn't threatening to add some extra surveillance friendly feature to the blockchain in order to make it more regulation friendly. Like Derek says, he's simply describing the blockchain as spelled out in the, in the white paper and clearing up misunderstandings about anonymity versus privacy. 
And when you look at anyone who goes to before Congress to talk about cryptocurrency or blockchain technology, the politicians always listen to what people say and then they go, yeah, but isn't it for drugs? Yeah, but isn't it for money, money laundering? That's all they care about. And I think Craig is the only one who is speaking their language to them by saying, no, not only is it only not for those things, but it's going to make the work that you're doing better. And I just think that's really smart salesmanship. And I think he told us that's what he was doing when he said, you don't kick the gorilla in the nuts. A quick, a quick aside before I want to hear Steve on this topic is it sort of breaks my heart that I want to say, who cares what the politicians say? And I think there was a time where you could have said that. I think sure. that window has passed because everything yeah. moved too slow because it was clogged up, right? Like the Uber approach of let's just break the law and pay the <laughs> yeah. fine. And if we do that for a year, by the time politicians get serious, our ridership will be so freaking huge that it'll be political suicide to try to shut us down. That I love that approach. And I think yep. Bitcoin was on that path. Yep. And with the exception of a few hor horrific martyrs like Ross Ulbricht and whatever, it was going to a place where it's like, hey, eh, you, you got to just get on the wagon now, politicians. And then it, it got hampered. And now there's been all this time and now it, it actually does matter what politicians think, unfortunately, which I, yeah. I find sad. Scaling slowly is like an attack vector, you know, is my thought. That's a good that's Yeah, a good yeah I completely agree with you, Isaac. And uh, I think it's a damn tragedy that um, we've scaled slowly. And I, I, so there's a few things I want to say. First of all, I want to respond to what Derek said about, and I think TK said this too, that if, if, the, if there are privacy concerns with... Um, BSV, then it's going to be the same on the other forks of Bitcoin. That's, I don't think that's true for a couple of reasons. One is you have things like Schnorr signatures, which are already in BCH, which do affect privacy. Um, but also you can, you can imagine a circumstance in which the culture matters of the development community. And there's this new XYZ technology that's a really trivial upgrade. It actually allows for anonymity in a new way. Now, if the protocol is locked down from the, the Craig, the surveillance state uh, uh, defendant, then they're not going to get that upgrade. And they're definitely, I would think, would, would get it in something like BCH. So even if right now the technical, there's not a huge technical difference between them in the future, I think there could be. And I, uh, okay, so that, that's, that's uh, part one. I think that's valuable for, I want my money to have anonymity features. I really like that. And if I, you're I thinking like- thinking as an investor thinking, hey, the likelihood that in the future there will be an anonymity feature on one chain, one that works and is embraced, uh, you feel like there's a higher probability that that will happen on BCH than BSV. Definitely. Yeah. And that's where the, that's where they're, you know, the, the crypto anarchist community, which I'm, I'm very sympathetic to, they got a lot of crap in that culture, but they also have a lot of good qualities. And I think that's one, even from a money, like if you think about it, creating the best money that people over the world in the world can use, anonymity and the ability to money launder and wash your money, I think is great. Like, I think that is a good feature. If we're of talking money. about a global currency. Do you think Chinese people want a money that can be tracked <laughs> for every transaction? Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So that, that would just say that's, that's kind of part one. Um, I also want to talk about the strategy, though, because this is something which I was so disappointed that a lot of Bitcoiners missed. They missed the Trojan horse strategy. Like, I thought this was one of those implicit things that we kind of all knew what was going on. Bitcoin was created. It's this amazing technology going to change the world. People who don't give a rip about libertarian ideas are just going to be like, okay, this uh, I'm going to use the. They're probably not even going to know they're using the technology. It's going to be on the back end. And once the world economy is already built on this incredible technology, 
oops, turns out that the supply is limited and it's not going to be artificially inflated by governments. That's the awesome Trojan horse mentality. That's like the ultimate agorist position. Amazing technology everybody used, and it turns out to be libertarian. Yeah, this is not an ideological conversion campaign for adoption. It is a real world uses. And oh, turns out this thing has libertarian implications. Who knew? Exactly, exactly. Like libertarians can have a lot of... uh, off-putting, I don't know, social qualities, psychological qualities to them, but they're right on some properties of what makes good money. It's like actually hard money is incredibly important. Like uh, there's this thing that I remember a lot of the BTC people were criticizing Roger Veer because he got emotional talking about how important economic development was. And he was like, you know, babies are dying because uh, of economic, the lack of economic freedom. And people were mocking him for him. It's like, no, no, that's totally correct. He's actually true. Yeah, exactly. So it's such a big deal. And I think Bitcoiners largely have, have missed the boat. So one more thing I wanted to say is from the libertarian perspective, I am definitely hesitant about, uh, I call it panopticoin. It's like BSV as a tool of the state for monitoring its citizens and making sure that everybody is playing by the law. I'm not too excited about that technology. I think it's kind of spooky. However, from a standpoint of could Panopticoin be the, the global currency? Yeah, I think it could. So from an investment standpoint, if you're trying to make a lot of money, to go the route of integrating with governments seems to me like a perfectly reasonable business strategy. And I think libertarians should, hardcore libertarians could probably justifiably be afraid of the Bitcoin that is big block Bitcoin and integrated into governments because that is a real threat both economically because if they manage to do it, it's going to beat the other coins. And I think, you know, politically. That- and, and, and I guess, would you say, Steve, like, and I've heard people say this, and I know this is playing with a whole bunch of theoreticals on top of theoreticals, but yeah, Steve, you're right. Um, but the trade-off is worth it if you get sound money that can never I be know. inflated and the, the, the cost is financial transactions are 100% trackable in every single way. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I've talked to some people about this who have, who have theorized about the in-game scenario. If you go read The Creature from Jekyll Island, you'll start to be like, inflation is literally the root of all evil and it must be stopped at but all costs. But it is. But it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, this is why when I hear Craig talk about some things, like his earlier, Reddit, Craig of 2015 is a different Craig uh, of 2019. He was, wasn't talking about the government integration. He seemed much more libertarian. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's like the Manchurian candidate approach where he's just decided, okay, the way we're going to make global Bitcoin to get the world on the hard money standard is we're going to make a deal with the devil and start getting integrated into states. I could totally buy the, the idea that that's what's going but, on. Let's see, is it possible that Panopticoin could be Craig's Trojan horse as well? Yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. Me, 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 More me, like me, a Trojan nuclear warhead, you know? Hey, we'll give you this gift, <laughs> this really powerful weapon. Oh, but we snuck in some liberty uh, in the middle. <laughs> So um, I uh, I want to say something too about the uh, the the, the um, surveillance because I agree like you know uh, I think it's I think it's spooky now that even governments are trying to move away from cash and make it like you know like like for example um, I don't even know if I want to say what I had to do just in case there's IRS issues. <laughs> <laughs> but theoretically, if one had to deposit a large amount of physical cash into a bank, <laughs> theoretically right now, you, you would not want to deposit more than $10,000 at a time 
And you would not want to be depositing like $2,000 in five installments over the course mm -hmm. of like a month because they would see that as a red flag. And holding cash is starting to become like, like guilty until proven innocent. Like you've got to prove how you got that cash and that it's legal. I mean, that, that's a very spooky thing that governments want to move toward just digital cash. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of research um, into the cypherpunks recently. And one of the things that Timothy C. May said that uh, in the cypherpunk uh, mailing list archives that struck me as intelligent was that um, this idea that digital cash can go one or two ways. It could actually, it could, it could become this like total nefarious tool of or like just completely destroys human freedom if it's in, totally in the hands of government. And if it's not in the hands of government, it could become this, this tool for human flourishing and human freedom. As far as <clears throat> where Bitcoin SV lies in, in that spectrum, I'm not, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm still deciding because I am against at least some of the rhetoric, like, like when I see Bitcoin SV people saying how like Ross Ulbricht should be like hung or shot or something like that, or, or thrown in jail or, or, or worse, you know, like, like that stuff just like ridiculous. Right. Um, but okay. So one, I think inflation is the worst evil in money. And so no matter what, we need to solve the inflation issue because I think governments have a lot less power when they can't expand the money supply. Um, but number two, in regards to surveillance, if governments have the power to surveil their, their people, that, that, that could, let's say that's true, um, the people have the power to surveil the government too, I think, in a way that would not be possible with a traditional financial system. And that to me is, is powerful and is not being talked about enough. The ability to actually hold government accountable by looking at where the money is going, right? anyone being able to audit anytime where the money is going, that to me is a huge step and a huge improvement in human freedom. Um, that might actually be worth accepting some surveillance of some sort uh, in the short term. Uh, you, you could argue one of the greatest tools for keeping the state in check would be for individual people to be able to see the staggering abuse of, of power that their money is being used for on a daily basis by the, by the world governments. I think surveillance is almost the, <clears throat> the wrong word as you sort of play around with these thought experiments. It's more like... Um, because it's like surveillance implies that somebody is watching me when I didn't know it. And I guess if you were in a, in a world that was all on this public ledger, anything you did on that ledger was sort of, you would know that it would be public. Now you might not like that. It's like a total transparency society, so to speak. Um, but I think, I think there's so many layers to trying to analyze this, right? If we're going to get way out there and I don't want to go too far down this road. I want to ask uh, Steve his bull case for, for BCH, but I think thinking about what ultimately is the threat and the danger of government and the, the greatest threat of humankind in all of history is, is power, is how much power they have. Now, often that power comes in the form of actual money and resources that they have taken or money and resources that it appears that they have because they have inflated and that allows them to do all these things. Or because of inflation, they're able to do things like wage wars that people would never pay for if they felt it directly. So it's hiding the costs. That's another power. Power comes from a lot of sources. And I think if you said, we're going to take away the power of hiding expenditures and stuff through inflation, which is a massive one, which most wars would probably never have happened without. But in its place, we're going to give you the power of the ability to know every single transaction everyone has made, or in TK's world, every bit of data or information you have ever exchanged anywhere, and potentially shut it off. Oh, it doesn't work because you tweeted something bad or twitched something bad or whatever, right? Like in the case of China, whatever. 
you're losing one kind of power, but you're gaining another one. And I don't know if the absolute power of the state reduces. I think that's worth thinking about. I think well, that the question of that, a fully transparent society, and then it begs the question as well, how many people could you get around it and do what people do now on the black market? Or could, could uh, governments get around actually being transparent on the blockchain and have some, some side things? And then the final question is compared to what? Because in some ways, what I just said could happen today. My bank account could get shut down and my credit card could get shut down. If the government wanted to bad enough, they could find pretext to do it without the blockchain. So, so one more a layer of, of theoretical speculation on that. So um, imagine we could get the best of both worlds where you have the public blockchain, but you also have the ability to hide and wash your money. Now, that would still give the ability of the government to maybe hide where the money is going. If you have that ability, they have that ability. But is, would that be worth the trade-off? And my, I, I don't know. I couldn't possibly say. But my intuition is like, well, I kind of want the option where I can or, or people that need to wash their money and hide their money can do so, even if that includes people in government. That's my disposition, at least. All right, can Steve, I say I wanna, a couple of things on this? Yeah, 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 but make it make it quick because I want to get the I want to get Steve's. We started with the bull case for BSV. Yeah. I want to get Steve's bull case for BCH. So, so I want to address anonymity and data storage concerns in one fell swoop, and that is this. I think it's a fallacy to think that just because the blockchain can do some very important things, that it needs to do everything. There will always be options for us to both exchange and store value and information outside of the blockchain as long as the physical world and physical resources exist. Blockchain is not the elimination of privacy, private enterprise, centralization, or individualism. So whether, whether that's us exchanging bottles of cologne, physical goods like real estate or jewelry or anything else, we can exchange and store value and information outside of the blockchain. Secondly, there's a distinction between the status-sounding rhetoric that is often used to argue against anonymity by people in the BSV community and the mere existence of anonymity itself. There is an anarchist case that can be made against anonymity. And in the recent uh, Hotep debate, for instance, where you saw Kurt and Connor go up against Peter McCormack and Shinobi, I think Connor and Kurt actually made some convincing cases for why um, anonymity actually benefits governments more than it does individuals. You don't have to agree with that, but I just want to make it clear that choosing to accept BSV does not mean choosing to embrace being a status about the anonymity debate. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I kind of see it more as a given the things that we value like probabilistically, which chain is most likely to achieve those, mm. those outcomes. And one of those is make money because we're investors. One of them is global cash free from inflation. One of them is more freedom for the world. You know, there's a lot of different things, but um, that's, that's kind of where I see the, the debate. Steve, I, wanna, I want you to tell us what makes you see sunshine for BCH. So before I do, I want to respond one more time to TK because it made me think of a great analogy with regards to the data storage thing. So, okay. <laughs> I think everybody here would agree that if you think you can make money by uploading data to the blockchain and op return, and it's, you, you have some business model where it makes more sense than if you were uploading stuff to Amazon, use the blockchain. Like, that's awesome. Try it out. Go for it. And that's important, I think, to state that we can't have gatekeepers for how you use the blockchain and how you don't use the blockchain. But that happens in BCH a little bit it, right it, now. It does. I agree. We're um, going to, we're going to crap on Steve's bull case after he makes I it. wanted to preempt. <laughs> I, yeah. to, <laughs> I crapped on the BSV bull case. I'm ready for both. <laughs> um, okay. But here's the analogy. So 
um, in Ethereum. Ethereum is this cool technology. Um, smart contracts are a cool idea. And I'm sure there will be some real world use cases for smart contracts. But and you can do that all on BSB and it scales. That, that may be true. Let's say that that's true. I'm not convinced that there are a huge amount of real world use cases that are going to save the blockchain because of smart contracts. Smart contracts have a lot of appeal to technically minded people who are like creating these cool complex systems and they use phrases like code is law that probably doesn't actually relate to the world. So like Ethereum as a project is really neat, but Ethereum as a project that could be like digital cash or where there's going to be some gigantic use case for Ethereum. It's just not clear to me. Okay. I think it's the same thing with the uploading data to the blockchain um, in OpReturn on BSV. Cool idea. Like I'm sure there are going to be some use cases, but the idea that this is the, this is the, the killer app, I just don't buy it. I don't, I don't see it anywhere. And it's hard for me to envision um, what that would be. Uh, I have a friend that, uh, working in a Bitcoin company. He had a great quip once where he said, Ethereum, everything about Ethereum is awesome, except for the scripting language. In other words, everything about Ethereum is awesome, except for like smart contracts. Like the, to the extent Ethereum resembles Bitcoin, it's great. To the extent that you're trying to make these complex smart contracts, it doesn't seem like there's a huge value proposition there. One, one thing uh, funny on the smart contract thing, I think it's easy for people who are really into this stuff to be blind to the world around them. So I've had people be like, oh my gosh, fractional home ownership. This is an amazing application <laughs> use case. They don't know that you can do that right now. Like, yeah, there are certain legal things and whatever, but if you're talking about circumventing the law, now you're talking about a different use case for uh, Bitcoin. But like most of these things, people aren't aware that contract law is actually pretty flexible pretty innovative. There's a lot of stuff you can already do in terms of smart contracts um, that I think is just sort of missed. Like this assumption that you have to put it on the blockchain to be able to divide ownership of a house into more than one part. Exactly. And, and um, this is the case with a bunch of stuff in Ethereum. It's like, okay, so we've got the global computer. Okay. What do we use the global computer for that we can't actually just break up on individual computers and maybe network in a cool way through something like a blockchain, but you don't have to have one global state computer. It's just, I mean, it is cool. I just, from a business perspective, I, I have yet to see the real applied use cases that maybe go, damn, that is the world changing tech. That's really important to say. And I want to make sure that that's clear about what I said as well, that it's, it is not a technocratic, that will never work. That's stupid. That's frivolous. Like it very well may be kick ass, but to date, if I'm acting as a investor and someone says, I'm going to come build a business on Ethereum that does smart contracts for home ownership. I'm going to say, you have to prove to me why that's better than not doing it on the blockchain. Right. Like I don't see that obviously in the future. There are tons of things that I'm not imagining and I, I don't want to shut down and, and all new technologies look like frivolity at first and all the applications are silly and play things. And that's, that's awesome. That should continue. I don't ever want to pretend like that. Oh, that's dumb. But currently it's, it's a, a tough case to make that it's like, you know, instantly world changing. So, so, okay. So I'm, I have a, I have a, we're never going to get to the bull case for BCA. <laughs> and I got to make my bull case or, or I don't even know if it's a bull case, but your, your mad case. Yeah, exactly. My, um, okay. So given because I, I agree with all the skepticism. Um, that's, that's my fundamental issue, I think, right now with Bitcoin Cash, is given the skepticism, given what we don't know might happen, limiting block size, 
right now is a bad idea because you're going to restrict possible use cases that you cannot conceive of right now. I, uh, sorry, TK, I don't quite agree that with your bull case for, for BSV, I have a different one. But um, um, I think fundamentally restricting the block sizes is where you get into a situation where this stuff never happens because it never can happen. We, we end up in a seen, unseen kind of situation. Um, and, and, and that's why, on the one hand, I think Bitcoin SV right now is following a better economic model. And on the other hand, Bitcoin Cash does not seem to understand that as much as I would like, at least the developers in Bitcoin Cash do not seem to, to appreciate that fact. Well, so, so let me challenge you a bit. So when you say we shouldn't have the block size, is this an absolute claim? I mean, is it, is it the case that if you had right now multiple terabyte blocks because somebody had a particular use case, you think that's all right? Yeah, I'm not really I'm not really worried about it that much. Um, if if you know if, if there was like a legitimate use case, then then sure, try it out. I mean, um, I don't believe in 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 saying, for example, that someone running a small node should should be able to, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess restrict the size of the network. Well, let's let's say it's not a small node. So let's say BitPay as an organization that has to run their own node because they're doing a bunch of important work, and they have you know, the ability to handle 200 meg blocks. That's probably a reasonable statement. Um, but if we're talking, you know, a thousand times greater than that, and suddenly all of the participants in the network literally can't handle that, they don't have specs for it, do you think that would be a problem? Just because there's one person who's trying out a particular use case on BSV. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the, the devil in me just says, yeah, go for it. And, and short-term pain is not the, the biggest issue. Move I don't, fast I don't, and break things. Like, why yeah, not, I mean, I, why I'm not, not open up the I'm, technology and I'm see not what as she worried can about do? That. I, think, I think we've already tried the alternative and it hasn't worked. Bitcoin has not gone where we want it to go. And I think part of that is because of this mindset restricting it. That is one thing where you feel a lot of fun and energy on Bitcoin SV. And I think it almost helps them. The fact that it's not in any exchanges and hardly anyone's like using it outside of fans of SV because it sort of allows you to be like, just push the boundaries and use this thing. And if it breaks a couple nodes and whatever else, good, let's better to learn it now. Better to, to, but, to push it and go. And like, there's something, there's something energetic and exciting. There's something to be said for that. But, but so, so even in the, I'm just trying to establish the, as, as soon as I get the principle established, then I, can, then I can make the argument. But like, so imagine you've got real relevant crypto players, the biggest, all of the biggest players in the industry. And let, let's imagine a scenario in which like Walmart is using Bitcoin. But I think the case is that none of those will get on it until it's gone through all these kinks and proven yeah. that it can handle unlimited you know, whatever block. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it can't be unlimited. It's, it's not unlimited, but like not, whatever, whatever the limit would be, I mean, I got the principle. could, the, the principle has I don't, I'm not, I'm not a socialist. Limit. I don't, I don't believe like scarcity doesn't exist. Right. Like I, I don't believe that there are completely boundless block sizes. Like there is always going to be like technological limits. Okay. That's, that's all I wanted. That's, but that's, I want that's, the people, I want the people who have capital invested to be making those decisions and not people who don't. Ra I think rather than having that limit I, baked in based on what you think it's going to be into some code, have it be more of a market decision that miners mine the blocks that they want, right? The yeah, that yeah. They that's, want. What, that's what unlimited block sizes actually means in BSV, and that's how it's actually used. It doesn't mean without any theoretically possible restriction. It means miners decide. The people who have skin in the game decide what the limitations are. Look, I, I agree. I mean, I agree with that. My, my, like, my, like if a car manufacturer could make a car so big it wouldn't fit on any highway, they should be free to do that. 
But why would they do that, right? Well, well right. And that's a very valid <laughs> point. Um, I, I, I guess, I agree, because I agree with you guys on a lot of this stuff, it's going to be hard to really uh, make too much of a, a counter argument. But in fact, I'm just going to start with the, the, what you guys are saying. Part of the flawed reasoning in BTC and sometimes in BCH is people will come up with the scenarios, well, what about a 100 billion terabyte block? And it's like, okay, it's a valid point that, Think everything's finite. Right? I'm, a, I'm a strict finitist, so I can say that. Um, however, why would the miners produce a block that destroys the network? That seems to be the thing that a lot of people miss. It's like, okay, well, you're just, if it's possible, if it's theoretically possible to produce, you know, petabyte blocks right now, then the network is broken because that's going to happen. I just don't actually find that like, uh, a plausible argument. My, my point to bring that up is to say, you, got, you have to have some limits. And so it's a question of where the limit should be. Should be. Technically, and I, I actually agree. I think you know, 32 megs is probably smaller than it needs to be. But the idea just of saying, okay, we're not going to have any cap, period. And, and it, it's, it is possible for one, let's say, a state actor miner to push out this gigantic block that breaks all of the businesses that haven't adjusted their software, even if they're big businesses, um, because, because the block that's coming is like three orders of magnitude larger than they're, uh, they're expecting. I do recognize, okay, well, there could be a problem there. There's, that, that is okay. a, something to address. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, I, okay. So, with, with a situation like that, with a state actor trying to destroy the network, this is why I think having more and more businesses on the network is important. Because I think the more economic power behind the network, the less likely a state actor is going to be incentivized to do that. Um, the more actors who are using it peacefully and voluntarily, the more people you're going to piss off if you do something like that. Like, like the the higher social cost a government's going to pay to try to push that stuff. Through. Well, that's what I was going to ask Steve, like if a government was motivated enough to a state actor to mine a petabyte block, it would. Oh, we lost Isaac oh, again. No, he froze. I'm sure he'll be back. Um, can we make fun of him while he's gone? Well, when, Steve, when you said that you were a finitist, I was thinking, oh my God, I can win this debate right now by getting Steve into a mathematics debate. <laughs> Even though I agree with you, I just got to start. <laughs> Start talking about uh, infinity and uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> infinite sets. There, there's no way, like, it will probably eventually end up there. I mean, the, the last <laughs> many interviews I've been giving, it's like, oh, we always end up talking about the philosophy. I'm you supposed to be on some it. super high-speed fiber over here, but there's probably an artificial cap on it. Uh, Steve, my, my question was, uh, <laughs> if a state actor wanted to destroy the network by mining some petabyte block or something, would it not be possible for them to find an easier or maybe cheaper way to, if they were that motivated to destroy the network, right? Like that, I that's what it, I, the, these things are sometimes yeah. analyzed in a vacuum as if yeah, yeah. there's not currently a way for somebody motivated enough to destroy totally it. Totally agree. Yeah. I, I think it depends on the network construction. I'm not sure if that would be the most efficient way of destroying the network, but that's a totally valid concern, especially. But it's for, another concern. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially true for minority hash rate uh, uh, coins. So like, Right now, BCH and BSV are, have a fraction of the hash rate of BTC. That is a huge potential risk, not just for state actors, but for BTC uh, miners who don't like the minority chains. So, I'm frankly shocked that um, one I, I or think, both of them haven't been taken out by BTC miners. I'm frankly I, shocked. To me, if I'm a BTC fan, that's a big embarrassment to me. Honestly, that means that I the think, miners don't love BTC all that much. That's what it is. Them. 
No, I, I, I think it's the case that actually miners themselves are in support of the majority of miners, I think, are still in support of big blocks, even if they're mining BTC right now. So I just don't think there's enough people that could support that. However, I think it's this is also another thing that that a lot of people in BTC and all, all the Bitcoin communities don't get is that. Okay, proof of work Bitcoin is always susceptible to 51% attacks. That is built into the network dynamic is it requires a majority of the miners to be honest participants in the network that are seeking profit and keeping the health of the network. As soon as you cross that threshold, we do not have technologies right now in proof of work coins that can prevent 51% attacks that are malicious from destroying the value of the network. Even things like uh, checkpoints, which are in Bitcoin ABC, which is like you can't have bigger than a, a 10 block reorg at a time. That's, that's a cool technology. But if you have enough hash rate that wants to make that coin unusable because it's a bunch of 10 block reorgs one after the other, where they're mining empty blocks so transactions don't even go through, majority miners can still destroy the, essentially can destroy the coin. That's something which a lot of people- Which to me is like, and trying to address that with technical solutions is as stupid as, hey, in a free market, in some industry, if the industry players decided to lose money perpetually for 10 years, they could wipe out everybody else and be a monopoly. Well, if you make this, the value of that market so great, that nobody would ever want to do that. That's the solution. It's an economic solution. That's true, except when we're talking about state actors. So you, it, it, if we're just talking about market participants, then it seems absurd to imagine a majority of miners destroy uh, a dominant coin. But when you're talking about state actors that can steal money from people, burn their resources to destroy shit, that's what they do. They're excellent at doing that. Well, I haven't that. state so actors done that yet. It would have been easy in the early days. Yeah, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe they have. <laughs> we yeah, I, I mean, who knows with what happened with BTC, right? I mean, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was some, some indirect state interference to try to um, destroy the usability of Bitcoin while it was young. Okay, I mean, Derek, I'm going to... theorist in me wants to believe oh, that the state has already, has already acted on BTC <laughs> and that there, there's something going on behind the scenes there. That's a whole other video <laughs> we're going to have lock, to do someday. Um, Steve, tell us, tell us BCH. Why is it, okay. why does it make you excited? Okay, so, uh, so first of all, it makes me excited because I'm a big block Bitcoiner, right? I've always been a big block Bitcoiner for years and years. It's so clear that the value proposition of uh, big block Bitcoin is enormous that I have to be bullish on it because there's only two big block Bitcoins right now. There's BSV and there's BCH. So I'm automatically bullish on um, big block Bitcoin. But for me, it's kind of a practical, it's largely a practical consideration that uh, the, the businesses in the industry right now are supporting BCH. You have the biggest players. You have BitPay, which I consider to be one of the most important businesses in the industry. Coinbase is on board. You have Bitcoin.com and Roger's work that he's doing there. You have Bitmain. Now, Jihan seems to be back at Bitmain. He's a hardcore BCH person. And for me, I'm thinking, okay, well, if that's where the businesses actually are, then the established businesses, not the, necessarily the theoretical businesses, this is where the real established uh, players are playing, then this is a coin that I'm, I'm pretty bullish on. And this is one of the things with BSV. Um, I, I think it's exciting that there are a lot of new players, speculative companies coming up, like that's cool to see. But are there any profitable businesses right now that are using BSV for anything? 
Like for me, if, that, if the answer to that is no, then I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I'm a big block Bitcoiner. There's one that's being used that a bunch of people are on board. So that's the one that I'm bullish on. So it's not a technical well, superiority thing. It's a, look, there's more people using it. There's more legitimate people using it. There's more hash behind it, whatever. Where are the profitable businesses using Bitcoin Cash though, like exclusively profiting off Bitcoin Cash alone? Because I can see yeah. Coinbase profiting, but Bitcoin Cash is not the driver. Bitmain, right? yeah, Coinbase, I, I, BitPay are all multi-coin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say exclusively, but um, Coinbase is not, it has not integrated BSV. And this is where in the industry, it unfortunately is the case that a lot of these social relationships matter. It so is, if yeah. BSV is not going to be integrated into Coinbase forever because Craig said some nasty things. That's important. I mean, Coinbase is still the most important, I would say. Uh, Enterprise sales is not about dollars and cents as much as you would think it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you, you wish it were, um, but it, it, it might not be the case. So I'm not sure that the, all of the bridges that have been burned are, are trivial that they've been burned. I mean, part of me appreciates, like, um, I'm a big fan of Ryan Charles, and I have been forever. Um, he's, BSV without Ryan Charles looks... Uh, a lot more questionable. But the fact that he's on their building makes me think, okay, well, this is obviously something legitimate because Ryan is a good thinker. And I think he's, if any company looks most promising long-term on BSV, I think um, Money Button and the stuff Ryan's doing is awesome. Um, wow, I just had a gigantic, uh, uh, the, the train fell off the tracks. <laughs> BCH, business adoption, real businesses, are they making a profit? Oh, oh, uh, yeah. So, uh I think the, the fact is that the uh, relationships have already been burned in BSV, and I'm not sure that that can be overcome. But like Ryan talks about, it might be possible that all of these pissed off businessmen in crypto can be irrelevant. Like it could be possible that BSV builds a new industry, industry from scratch and has all of the on-roads and the, the new exchanges, and it's got its own payment processors. Like maybe they can do that. I'm open to that idea. And I like when Ryan says stuff like that, it's like, okay, I, I like that he's thinking maybe everybody in the current industry is irrelevant. Man, it, there's something beautiful about the idea that the success of crypto is not contingent on the crypto community and yes, ecosystem. No, I, I love it. I think screwed up. I completely agree with, with that, but I'm just skeptical. I'd yeah. like to see it. Like, let's see what can actually happen. I would say I don't look at this notion of reaching people outside the crypto community as like a consolation prize for BSV being delisted. <laughs> I think that's the necessary approach to take for anyone to win. <laughs> and I think if anyone gets it, it's the BSV community that burning bridges and building bridges in crypto and just playing the, the casino it game. It depends on what Bitcoin is more like, though, because there are I think things like... There like breakthrough technologies or theories, for example, that fare much better when they say, screw you to the established academic sciences or whatever, right? Wilver, Wilver and Orville, Orville Wright, all the scientists said, you can't do this, right? Forget it. We don't need them. We'll go out there and, and commercialize this thing. But there are other things, new technologies, networks, communities, where, and you'll hear this in startup world, the early rabid fans there you bit you get them and if the people who care the most about it and dedicate their lives to it hate you how can you expect anybody yeah. to build on this thing and i don't know which one of those it's more like so I, I think bitcoin is that one but i think we are well past that stage i think we have gotten all we're going to get towards global adoption from sheer loyalty from the crypto community i think we're maxed out on that 
that may be the case, but if the early, if the early adopters hate you, uh, that might be a bad sign as well. So when I say I think we're maxed out by that, I think the early adopters are now irrelevant for going any further than where we're at. It's possible. I mean, th- I think that is possible. I'm just, I want to see more evidence of that before I'm thinking, okay, BSV is so strong that they're just going to destroy the entire existing crypto industry. I just- and Steve, and it, what did what did you think of the recent, uh, I've seen people tweeting charts that, that BSV surpassed BTC well, and well, it yeah. dramatically surpassed BCH in daily transaction volume. Right. So did that sway you in some way? Um, no, but here's why. It could. Here's why. So there's a few other there's a few other pro BCH and, and kind of skeptical anti BCSV uh, points, and that's one of them. Is it's misleading. So blockchain usage is the right metric to determine the health of the network. Is it actually being used? That's the right question. However, when you dig into it, uh, uh, the metric is uh, that, that people are promoting recently isn't just the size of the block because you have to look at who's actually using it and for what purpose. You have companies like Weather SV, which is pushing out. I mean, I was, I was watching some of the transactions on the blockchain. It was like over 50% of the transactions in the blocks were from one company that's pushing data to the blockchain on a completely speculative business model. Maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. But that that tells me that, okay, this is not organic usage outside of two companies. So if you, ha- so you, you might have 10, you might have 50 completely speculative companies that are pushing in a gobs and gobs amount of uh, data to the blockchain, thinking maybe this system will work. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that in, biz- in the real world, uh, it's creating value for businesses that are profitable. So I don't think that's the right metric. I think it's, I think actually I was looking into uh, weather SV a little bit more and the, the guy actually acknowledges it's kind of proof of concept. Like we're trying to show the industry, Hey, look, you can use the blockchain to do these things. That's cool. That's a great signal, but that doesn't tell me that it's just organic industry growth. TK, Would that be, would it be fair to say that's exactly what excites you about it? That if, if the proof of concept proves out, and this is a viable business model, getting one business to push out a bajillion transactions is a much better adoption model than Roger Ver getting 10 hot dog stands to try to accept BCH because you can get this mass amount. It, it, would that be fair? Absolutely. And, 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 and this, this to me is similar to your experience when you first started Praxis. You don't go from having this concept that most people have a difficult time understanding to having 100 users overnight, right? You find those three, four, five, six people that are early adopters that kind of believe in the ideology, that want to help you prove the concept, and that are willing to stick with you while you're still working out the kinks along the way. Yeah. And I think BSV is, is, is doing exactly that. So while everyone else is focusing on getting listed on Coinbase or getting, getting Binance to love them, BSV is saying, forget that, Let's double down on a niche market of people who see the value for storing information on the blockchain and let's build from there. But I think Steve's arguing that what SMB is doing, what Peer Game is doing, all of these different activities that are on the blockchain, they are generating transactions. And I don't think people are celebrating them because it's like, yay, we won the game. But it's, this is exactly what we need to do. And while everyone else, else makes fun of this, we're building more Steve, of it. Steve's argument seems to me like, but there's a qualitative difference between these transactions that at least there are some on BCH. How many, it's hard to know, but there are at least some transactions that are happening 
because people are actually making money off of the use of it as a long-term viable business strategy, whereas right. everything on SV currently cannot continue if it doesn't start to actually turn a profit. Right. Yeah, so but are we a- talking about like a hamburger restaurant in Greece? That's using BCH. What are we even talking no, about? No, I mean like Bit, like BitPay, for example. They actually do a lot of legitimate business, and I know they use BTC probably more than anything. Yeah, um, yeah, but but for BitPay, we BH have well. on the BSV side, we have CentBU and the work that they're doing on international uh, remittance payments. But I, nobody's but using not as Steve's argument. Yeah, exactly. Except for it, fans using it a, as experimental. It's a startup, which is cool. It's a startup, and I actually agree with you from a marketing perspective. BSV is doing a better job at this than BCH. This is something. I hope will change in BCH. Like if I know that if whether SV, there's a reason why whether SV is on SV and not on BCH because they would be hounded out of the community by a small group of developers that wouldn't approve of that use of the blockchain. That's I a think huge that's, problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge marketing problem. But I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to fix it. So so if. So I guess my point is, from a marketing standpoint, yes, it's a good signal, and and the pushing out these outrageously big blocks, it's a good signal. But in terms of actual real world business usage, I'm just not persuaded by that because I don't think that these are kind of legitimate businesses making a profit by using the SV uh, blockchain that way. Steve, do you feel this is a very, very subjective thing, but this is like, I I sort of just gauge my own internal level of yippee, like subjective feeling every so often to get it, to get my gut to tell me what, what, what I feel on different chains. And I remember when the, the initial you know, Bitcoin was like, oh, what happened to adoption? What's going on? All these New York agreement, blah, 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 this chain split, everyone's scared. And then you have this, the fork. And then there was this initial level of palpable energy and excitement that felt like Bitcoin back in 2013, 14, 15. And then it all bogged down in the second fight, BSV and BCH. Yeah. Then you had the split. And then it was, everything was really depressing for me on both chains for a long time. But BCH seemed to have more, a little bit more action going. Somehow in the last, I don't know, set of months, there is a palpable energy on BSV and it's not just the weird cultists who are like, you know, Craig has a plan. He's going to win in courts. I mean, people who are like Unwriter and the people on Twitch and whatever, whether SV, whether or not it's going to pay off in the long term, they're like loving it and playing with it and yeah. building it. And like, and when I look on the BCH side, it seems like there's less and less of that as each month goes by. Roger is like the last man standing from a cursory glance at Bitcoin Twitter. It's Roger with videos of getting shop owners to accept it, which is freaking awesome. And like nothing else. I don't feel very much life over there. Yeah, I think it's a, I actually agree with a lot of the insight. And so I'm in some of these communities. I'm in some of the ESV communities. I'm in some BCH communities kind of monitor what's going on and just gain information of the different um, groups. And it's, overwhelmingly clear that the the spirit in the BSV community is way more positive, way more um, entrepreneur, uh, business develop, uh, like, um, like positive developer focus than in BCH. It's become incredibly toxic in BCH. Um, just, I mean, it, it smells very similar to what happened with BTC. You had a small group of technically minded people that got a little ossified. They were convinced that they were all geniuses and knew how the blockchain should be used. And they started shitting on everybody else. And then there was a fork and now they, they shit on everybody that's using the other fork. They say like NBCH, if, if you say something that's unapproved, it's like, that's the BSV philosophy. You're just a BSV shill. And it reminds me exactly of the BTC PCH fork. So I, I, 
I am very aware uh, of the those facts in the different communities. You feel the probability that the weight <laughs> of the Rogers, the Jihans, the BitPay, the legitimate businesses is going to overwhelm the sort of naysayer developer it, it, Twitter what I'd audience. Say, I don't know, and I think there is a window where it, if the Rogers and the BitPays and the businesses of the entrepreneurs want this to work. I think things have to change actually in BSV and BCH. Um, so I actually am, I think it's a very bad sign. I just think that, you know, if you give it six months, there may be some cool things coming down the pipeline that could change some of these um, community dynamics in BCH. And if it doesn't happen, I, I, my position is it's definitely going to have to change on this because I do see in the abstract, so many similarities between what happened with BTC, BCH, and now BCH and BSV. And, and the thing is, too, it's, it's so funny because BCH and BSV, we were all the same community a year ago. Yeah. Like, we're all big block Bitcoiners. So the demonization that has happened is not a, is not a sign of critical thinking. It's like, okay, clearly a lot of the BCH players aren't actually as carefully thinking as they presented themselves because we're, they're doing the thing that the what's so funny is I've seen people on both sides of BSV and B, BCH like attack people for having literally the most reasonable um, like oh well that person's one of those guys that just wants a form of peer-to-peer -peer cash to work and he doesn't just care about anything else exactly well, that's a guy that just wants exactly. it to work and people to use it of course he's gonna say that it's like no. What else do you want? Like, do you need, do you need my motives to be pure? Do we all need to have the same, yeah. you know? So, so in BTC, all right. So, um, and then Derek, we're going to get to you. I promise. <laughs> uh, around the time of this segment to X split, um, the core cult put out a list of enemies of Bitcoin. And it was like the, the smart individuals that were like, of course, we need to raise the block size. Let's not be idiots. You know, you Coinbase, BitPay. My brother was on the list. He was working at Open Bazaar. And they it was were the, literally like everyone that was doing anything in crypto. <laughs> All the relevant individuals were on this enemies of Bitcoin list. And it was, it was funny to see because I saw it, you know, I wasn't on the list. I wasn't, you know, prominent enough to be on the list, but it was like- You're on some lists classical. now, I think. Now, the damn thing that's now. There is an enemies of Bitcoin cash list and I am now on it. It's the same story. And here you are defending Bitcoin cash. I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's laughable. I mean, the, the thing is, it's some rather prominent people. I mean, like Amory Sachet is the most prominent uh, ABC dev and he's, he's, he's calling Roger Veer as an idiot. Uh, you know, some of these established players like uh, Peter Risen are lying dickbags. Everybody's dumb. Everybody's an enemy of Bitcoin. And even even me, I'm some dude with 2000 Twitter followers. He's personally being like, Roger Veer is promoting Steve Patterson because he liked one of my tweets and retweeted it once. It's like, here's this dev who has nothing better to do than search Twitter for things that Roger Veer likes on Twitter that he doesn't personally like. So that's a... That's really bad sign to me. But like I said, I, I think there is a window. I think there's a closing window, but I'm optimistic that we can actually change some things. Derek? Derek, Derek, yeah. What's your, what's your uh, middle of the road, but leaning SV bull, bull case here? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I hold both forks and uh, I, have, I have no moralistic stance on either one. I, I think the tribalism is silly. The idea that like you have to align yourself with one coin and then be all in. My thought is like it's an ever-changing sort of spectrum. And so if what Steve is saying is true 
and a lot of interesting things happen in Bitcoin Cash in the next six months. That's awesome. I mean, I would even be willing to to uh, you know work on Bitcoin Cash and stuff like that. So like, I, I don't have any reason not to. You know, and and I, I still hold my Bitcoin Cash. I hold my Bitcoin SV. I have a little more Bitcoin SV. Uh, I was thinking I, I don't always buy Bitcoin with fiat, but when I do, I prefer SV. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a I think it's a useful way. Like if you were bullish on the ride sharing economy. You could be like, I think Uber is more likely to win than Lyft, but I can hold exactly. both, and I can and I can change that opinion as I see how they exactly. both. Exactly, I, I feel the same way. It's like we're we're big block Bitcoiners. I think I, I'm, sure. I would consider myself a big block Bitcoiner. I hold a little bit more BCH than BSV, but I bought the dip. I bought both in the dip because long run, you know, big block Bitcoin. Yeah, and and you know one exciting thing about Bitcoin SV is that it's just lower priced right now. So for someone to want to hedge or or get more, I mean, if Bitcoin SV were to win. I mean, I, I think in theory, there's a better opportunity for someone to to make a lot more money on Bitcoin SV right now, given its price difference with BCH, which is it's so exciting. So you're just one of those hodlers, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I I think I think hodling is great. I think I think I mean I I I, I don't think spending or hodling is is good or bad, you know. And and sometimes in BCH, I can look back and actually see. I think there was a little bit of the the opposite of the hodl argument, which is too much. Like spending is what matters. The spending is not what matters. It's it's just private individuals being able to make their own choices without a developer arbitrarily sort of incentivizing one behavior over the other. And so when I'd see in core, they would say things like small block sizes incentivize hodling. Like, well, that, that's, that, that strikes me as, as, as short-sighted, you know, because you're going to end up in a situation where, where in, in an economy at any given time, you want the optimal number of people saving and the optimal number of people spending at any given time. And I think the only way you get that is sort of by having uh, restrictions lifted as much as possible um, and allow people to make choices that make sense for their own lives. I want to piggyback on that though. That's a really good point. Um, so with the hodling thing, it depends on what you're hodling. Hodling is great. And, and the, I remember when this happened, um, it, there was articles written years ago by Daniel Krawitz. We coined the term hyper-Bitcoinization. Yeah. And it was like, oh man, you just hold this coin and you're going to make a crap ton of money. And when you think about it as kind of a, a way to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, it was brilliant. And it kind of happened with BTC. This the cult emerged around the hodling of this thing that was going to make him money. And that would have been great and justified if the underlying technology was what it was supposed to be, which it's is big block Bitcoin. Doing something exactly. So it's like the hot, <laughs> I, I want the I like the digital gold meme. I think that's a good meme, except people bastardize it and it's like, oh, it's digital gold, which means it should be expensive to transact. It's like now that that like, like using it as dirty and you know, it, for the please. Exactly. Hodling is great. And it, it, like if you're trying to onboard the world to a cryptocurrency, to be able to say, honestly, I think if you hold this coin, you might make 100x. That's a pretty damn powerful pitch if it's justified. But yeah, I just wanted to say that that's a, that's a really good point. And hodling is fine so long as you're hodling the right coin. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and um, okay, so my, my bull, bull case for, for Bitcoin SV, I guess, or my middle of the road case is, is sort of, I have to make an argument against BCH right now too. And you've already said some of it. We've already touched on all of it. Like, you know, one of the reasons I'm excited about BSV is because it, it strikes me as, as, as Bitcoin cash absent uh, uh, many of the serious flaws that I see, which are things like censorship of communications channels, which is developing. I mean, I, I go into RBTC and I make a post and it tags me as like a BSV troll, you know, 
even though all I've done is, is post like once or twice in, in the Bitcoin SV. Now it's not being deleted or you're not being banned or not being banned, deleted. But it's not censorship. It's but not it, quite it, the level of our Bitcoin, not, but there's yeah, like there, a bot. Some people that, have said they've been deleted. I don't yeah. want to make, you know, I haven't seen it. There's myself. a bot that like reports. But there's how a many bot SV that tracks you and says, <laughs> this don't guy might this be a, yeah. that's like a guaranteed way to get yourself downvoted. So I've even said things that are totally innocuous that are like actually in defense of BCH and I'll still get downvoted because I have that stupid bot tagging me. Like that to me strikes me as like a very awful sign and a, and a sign of worse things to come. If when communities in, matter, it certainly is. And well, I think that's in, an open in, question. And communities matter if the protocol is not locked down. Now, how, how, whether that's possible or not, I think the community matters more. You have to worry about stupid people and nefarious actors when the protocol can be, uh, especially when developers are in charge. The, the more fungible the protocol, the more the community and the consensus mechanisms and the Twitterati matter. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so, so there's that. There's obviously, you know, resistance to use cases is another problem I see. <laughs> uh, a sort of sneering at particular transaction types. It seems dangerous to me when people are saying, that's spam. That's not a valid use case. Go to BSV. Like part of me is, is worried about Bitcoin, as, uh, Bitcoin cash because I think- <laughs> It's like Jimmy Song saying, use a credit card all over yes. again. Yeah, and, 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 and it may not be that bad, but it, it, it seems like it's getting there. And um, when, I, uh, when I see things like just go to Bitcoin SV, like it, it seems like a lot of people are turning off their mind because they got so pissed off at what happened with the fork yeah. that they're yeah. actually like reacting against Bitcoin SV and making themselves dumber. And I don't yeah. like that. It's the same I, thing I, that happened with BCH. Exact yeah. same scenario. It's the exact same thing. And so when I see, even when I see Steve, who has been pro BCH, almost no matter what he says, gets branded as a Bitcoin SV person in Telegram. I mean, no matter what he does, it's like Steve's Stevo Pasterson, uh, you know, <laughs> supported Bitcoin SV. That's not even true. That's demonstrably not true. And yet, it doesn't matter because he's saying things that sound like a Bitcoin SV position and that really were not an exclusive Bitcoin SV position until the fork happens. Exactly. They were like, like a lot of the good things about Bitcoin SV were things that I felt everyone in Bitcoin Cash agreed upon in the early days. Um, okay. Developer capture. I think that's already happened much more than I would have liked to have seen. Now, now not as much as core. I don't think we're, we're there yet. But I think it's already happened a lot more than, than I would have liked to have seen. Developers uh, being funded by a business that benefits when the blockchain benefits seems way more logical to me than developers like begging for alms all the time. Doesn't that yes. seem a little uncomfortable? Well, in a lot of the funding, I, 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 when I see proposals on the table for what they're talking about, I mean, a tithe just, just strikes me as a very stupid thing where, where it's like, okay, well, if you care about human freedom, then you need to tithe monthly to the developers. I mean, I mean, come on, that's not a way to build a global economy. I mean, where we have a, a priesthood of developers who are receiving tithes from people. And, and can, you imagine, can you imagine Uber being like, hey, you guys have all used ride sharing and you like it. If you really care, you'll fund the developers who are working on this yeah. app. With a if you're tithe. a moral person, if you're a good freedom lover who cares about the chain, you're going to donate money. That seems like a, a failing model. Um, and, and until I see something more serious proposed, that's, that's just like a deal breaker for me. Um, obviously, you know, related to this, the mass, you know, increasing social shaming campaigns that go on. Um, or attempts to actually hurt people who, who, who say something 
that doesn't line up with the developer dogma of the day. I mean, I've experienced. Well, and, yeah, and on BSV, the difference is you just you get sued if you say something. That, yeah. Like so that. okay. Yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think the the As lawsuit happy culture is, you know, I mean that that's that's very annoying. Um, but okay. Um, Okay. So, okay. So, okay. Okay. So my, my, my bull, my, my bull case for Bitcoin SV is, 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 is essentially that it's following a better economic model right now. You've got miners funding businesses. You've got miners making developer decisions. You've got miners paying developers. Um, I think that is how Bitcoin needs to be run. And I think that a lot of the red flags in Bitcoin SV, uh, can be, uh, forgiven to a large extent if those things are in place. Uh, now, if, if we can see that in Bitcoin Cash develop, that, that actually happened, then I would be maybe more excited about Bitcoin Cash. I mean, it, 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 for me, it's, just, it's, just a, it's a spectrum and I want one of them to win. I hold both. Um, so that, yeah, that, that's, I guess, the general case. Yeah, I, okay. I agree with a lot of that. And um, I just, on the, the tithing point, like it should be, <laughs> to, to Bitcoin Cash's credit in some sense, that model isn't working. It's like, that's not the model employed right now. There's a bunch of, noise being made by yeah. developers who have failed to secure their own funding because maybe they're doing something wrong. So yeah, I see it as a good sign that they're not, that it, they're not getting paid. It, it, exactly. It's at least market feedback. It's important market feedback. So, so I, I actually agree with what you're saying. If, if the, there's one perspective, which is like there's a developer funding problem. Um, a lot of developers say this. I actually suspect there is plenty of money in crypto to fund the right developers. You just got to have developers that have, frankly, social skills, developers that have good e economic understanding or, or can, can at least um, work with businessmen who are a little more competent, who, who see the big picture a little bit more. It's like, imagine you're just a regular business and you've got a really hyper-competent software engineer. You're not going to be like, oh, you know what has to happen. This dude is the CEO. Like, the, definitely, he's going to be the CEO. He's going to do all the public relations. He's going to be doing all the coordination with all the individuals to make this project work. It's like, no, that's, if you have a, a truly exceptional person, maybe you can do that. But it's probably not the best scenario. And I think people, specifically like Omri Sachet, who's a competent dev, um, he needs to be put in the right role. He's not in the right position. He's, a, he's a, a brilliant software engineer who's trying to be CEO and it just doesn't work. So if we can fix that though, if we can actually get the engineers in the, in the right roles, then I think, I think that's something we can overcome. But I agree with you that like BSV does seem to have this model a little bit better sorted out. And I don't get the impression from, the, from any of the developers that I'm listening to in BSV that they're, they view themselves as like saviors of the, the protocol that have to protect every, you know, BSV from all the evil actors. They seem to at least understand the code is their, their domain of expertise. So I want to see if I can summarize each, or do you have a question, TK? Well, I just want to say, Steve, that this is sort of what my problem was with the idea that, hey, BSV seems, I mean, BCH seems to have more businesses. I think the case for BCH seems to be based more on the past. Um, yeah, based on the past, <laughs> while BSV is based on the future. It's sort of like if I have two guys, yeah. one guy is chubby, but, he, but he's been going to the gym every day for an hour for the past 30 days, but he still looks chubby. And then I got a skinny guy who just sits on the couch and eats Doritos all day, but he looks better. To me, that skinny guy is BCH and yeah. that chubby guy is BSV. And 
He's got more right now, but I can I can predict where they're going to go based on what they're doing. And you can say, well, I'm talking to the skinny guy and I'm trying to motivate him to go to the gym. And yeah. when I see that, you know, I'll listen to that. Mm-hmm. But that's what it looks like to me. People yeah. say that Fair there's knowledge. this obsession with Craig Wright and that there's definitely truth to that. But I also think like for better or worse, and I don't think this is irrational. If you imagine SV without Craig Wright, if N-Chain existed as a business and Jimmy was their spokesperson and, you know, you've got Calvin funding them and Shatters and these different developers and whatever, and SV is all the same, but Craig Wright doesn't exist. I think it's hard to imagine that not being obviously in a better place than BCH. He's a big wild card and it's not just his personality. It's things like lawsuits and these crazy claims and there's just a, a whole like attack vector that gets opened up. Like what he claims about Bitcoin SV makes it less attractive than what I actually see of Bitcoin SV in, in some ways. It's a good point, but, 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 but think we could also do the same thought experiment with other coins. So it's like the, there are a handful of people that maybe make or break the coin. I think if you have BCH without Roger and without Jihan, what's there? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, w- I would totally be a BSV person if you lost those two. So it's like, those are the, the critical underpinnings. And, and with CSW, yeah, BSV would look a hell of a lot better if, if he could find his role. <laughs> I don't think he's in the right role right now, in, in my opinion. I think it looks a lot more attractive. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is uh, Craig is on BSV and Roger and Jihan are on BCH. So and you I'm- got these, you know, and, and something like Vitalik and Ethereum. It's like Vitalik especially for the, the, like the public perception of Ethereum, if you took Vitalik out of Ethereum, what would be there? It would be a whole lot less attractive than with somebody like Vitalik. And, and I'm not saying this to, to crap on Craig. I actually find Craig utterly fascinating. The entertainment yeah, value he and Calvin bring to crypto is enough to keep me on crypto Twitter. And I, I don't think... He's an idiot. I don't think he's valueless to the Bitcoin ecosystem in any way, especially early on when the first split happened. Like he was speaking a lot of sanity and saying a lot of things a lot of people weren't. I'm, I'm not at all saying like, oh, Craig's an idiot. The world would be better off without him. He's a strange guy. I don't understand some of his behavior sometimes. He's wild and crazy, but I always have a soft spot for wild. I'm not sure craziness. Calvin understands it either, though. I mean, sometimes Calvin <laughs> will, will tweet things like, yeah. this is why Craig behaves the way he does. But, you know, my, my, my thought is that. Craig has said a couple, I think, tremendously important things. And, and if one, of the, one of his contributions to the, the narrative today is, is a renewed vision for Bitcoin as an economic system in which miners have uh, you know, a much more economic power. That to me is just, is just so important. It outweighs anything else by far. Um, Okay, I just want to make just one or two like bullet points about my bull, bull case. Right, then I'm going to summarize each of your yeah, points. Yeah, I know we're going a little further, but I didn't get way. to say much. And I've got one final question. If you guys, if yeah. you guys have time after that, I have, I have time. Okay, so okay, so and then there's an hour long debate on Craig, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so oh, Isaac's frozen again, but okay, so scaling protects, I think, against state actors in the sense that it creates a social incentive not to attack the network if there's enough big economic players. Um, you know, like I, 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 would, I would find it difficult today for, for example, the state to crack down on all of the major tech companies. You know, if they came after Google and Amazon and all these things all at once, like it's theoretically possible, but the cost would be very high, I think. And I'm not sure people would put up with it. Um, that's important to me. So, so I, I think the more this starts to look like a market, the more protected we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that people bring that up a lot. I think also scaling allows for 
unseen use cases to emerge. And that when we, are, when we limit the block size uh, to protect small nodes, we close ourselves off to hidden possibilities. Um, so those two things right there. And I also think, I think miners too, are, are, have a better understanding. So, so one last point, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of talk about like the happening, for example, and, and um, what that's going to do to the various networks and stuff like that, whether that will damage the profitability of mining and, and how that will affect Bitcoin. I think miners in Bitcoin SV appear to me to be playing a longer game than just maximizing mining profits in the mm -hmm. short term. What they seem to be doing is let's invest in businesses on top of the chain too that are going to actually be doing transactions so that we have a protocol worth mining on to begin with, as opposed to let's just, ma let's just extract coins right now. Um, Bitcoin SV miners seem to actually care about processing large volumes of transactions in the future. I think in BTC right now, a lot of BTC miners seem to only care about getting their BTC right now, maximizing their, their share of that subsidy. I see, and, and I'm not sure about BCH, but certainly in BSV, it seems that they, they're, they're thinking much longer in the future. And that seems to me as, 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 a, uh, as, as a good sign going into something like a happening where they may see the cost of mining as sort of just another cost of doing business and sort of as a means to a bigger end than, than the other miners in the spaces. To push yeah, back I wanna... a little bit, I, I do think most other miners are more coin agnostic but I do think by the fact they have invested a ton of money in mining equipment, they are signaling that they are long-term on mineable crypto coins of some variety. Yeah, yeah I, that's a good point. I, I think it should also be noted that around the time of the BCH-BSV split, um, I was having arguments with various, uh, a small group of BCH developers that were trying to tell me that there was no way BSV could work because they had in their, in their game theoretical model, prediction of the future, it would just be Calvin essentially burning money and nobody's going to burn money and therefore nobody's ever going to use BSV and it's guaranteed to fail. See, that's and, just so ignorant. And, and so I, I called this person out, one individual who's somewhat prominent in the development community. I said, okay, are you willing to bet on it? Are you willing to bet that next year BSV is not going to have you know, is it going to be worth $10? Is it going to be worth $0? And of course, he wouldn't bet me. He wouldn't put in his skin <laughs> in the game because it's, yeah. it was su such a silly, simplistic model of imagining that all, all mining behavior is completely short-term. They just yeah. mine what gets them the most profit. In, in, like, in, like, like venture capital doesn't exist and companies exactly. don't lose right. money for 10 or 20 and, years. And, and Exactly. And it might be the case that that does describe some behavior. Okay. I don't think to the miners' credit, I think the miners have actually failed to some respect in their responsibility in the Bitcoin network. They are a little bit short-term focused, but that doesn't mean that all Bitcoin miners are necessarily short-term focused. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to summarize the three positions. You ready for this? It's going to be great. Yeah. You guys are going to love it. Okay, Steve's bull case for BCH is it's probably not as bad as BSV right now. Derek's bull case for BSV <laughs> is BCH is probably worse right now. And TK's bull case for BSV is it is everything. It is one. We are all meta now. <laughs> Something like that. I think that's a really fair. Okay, so let me, let me leave you guys with a bit of a philosophical question. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's philosophical, but I think it has a lot of practical implications. And I think it impinges on a lot of the things we've touched on in terms of developer funding, incentives, community. I've been thinking about this a lot and I have no clear answer. And I know words are all just metaphors, but we need them. We need frameworks to, to, to make sense of the world. 
Is it better to think of Bitcoin more like a soft technology or a hard technology? And here's what I mean. If you've read uh, Venkatesh Rao's um, Breaking Smart, it's an excellent essay. And he talks about big soft technologies, money, language, and then sort of software slash the internet. Um, and then you think of hard technologies. And I don't mean hard as in physical hardware, but I'm thinking like innovations that are created by, let's say, a startup that are, that are a, a, a single source of the innovation is driving it forward. Okay, so if you think of a soft technology like language, this is an emergent phenomenon. Nobody sat down and plotted it out and then came forward and said, everyone's going to adopt this now. Here you go. This emerged out of this process of interaction and nobody owns it. And it doesn't require anybody to sit. There doesn't need to be a group of maintainers who sit down and develop the language and make sure that they upgrade it for bugs. This is a completely emergent phenomenon. I think free market uses of money and things have similar properties. Whereas to take something like the iPhone, this, this is a a technology developed by a particular person with a particular vision with a whole organization around him, but Steve Jobs or a small group of people were the driving force. Now you hear in Bitcoin a lot, this idea that centralization is bad in, in all of its forms and that like any one person who's driving it, whether it's the vision or whether it's mining capacity or whatever, and there's different forms of centralization, different threats. This is bad because this is all, it's us. It's we, the community. You saw this in this user activated hard fork. We need community consensus. And that sort of treats Bitcoin like it's a soft technology that there is no leader and there's no need for leaders. There's no leaders in Bitcoin, only math, right? You hear that kind of thing. But then, and then you see all the messed up ways that open source uh, software development, that it, it's not like that. It's really, it's really messy if you're just like, it'll just take care of itself. Well, unlike language, it actually does need maintenance. It actually does need bugs repaired. It actually does need development. So maybe it does need a Steve Jobs-like asshole leader that's pushing and driving it forward at the protocol level, not just apps built on top of it. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like does open source software development work for something this big and this high stakes? Is it more of a soft technology that's an emergent leaderless phenomena? Or is it more of a hard technology and innovation that takes a visionary leader to drive it forward? Well, you guys handle that first. I'll be right back. Well, that's an interesting question. I, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard it framed like that. I mean, I guess my initial thought is that it's a combination of both. It's, it's, it's like a hard technology at first that needs to become softer in the sense of, you know, and then in the long term, what you, I think you don't really even want the protocol being edited, uh, eventually, but how do we get to that point is, is a difficult question. And it seems like, the empirical evidence is, is pointing to the fact that the, the soft approach has failed. There's like um, a bootstrapping phase where you just need like a relentless drive from a small number of people that really care until it achieves critical mass and then it can truly be a leaderless headless yeah. phenomena. But, the, but then you think about like, what, like, like, can we characterize like, like what has happened in BTC? Like what happened to BTC? Is, it, is that a soft phenomena? I'm not even sure it is though because... Is that because there was absence of leadership or is it because there was like some leadership that snuck in and took it in the yeah. wrong direction? Yeah, like that's, that's an interesting question because- Because the rhetoric is that it's leaderless. The rhetoric is that it's leaderless. And yet, like when I go back through, you know, the archives of Reddit and stuff like that, you can see around the time of like SegWit2x or even like Bitcoin XT, 
you know, Thamos and other people saying, well, if Greg Maxwell doesn't agree to it, it's not consensus. You know, so, it's like so Greg- this would almost be an argument that there will always be some kind of leadership and the danger of, of assuming or pretending it's leaderless is the same danger as a news source just pretending they're unbiased instead of just saying we have a bias in one yeah. way or the other. Like, because yeah. then you can, you can deceive a community into thinking that it's just this organic thing and you can do phony stuff. Yeah, you, you see a lot of people in Bitcoin Cash say like, we don't want Blockstream 2.0. And, and I, I get that. I, I understand that position. And I think the best way to not have Blockstream 2.0 though, is to have a new company that really has a, a, a good economic interest in scaling Bitcoin, taking over and, and sort of driving things forward uh, more substantially than, than companies have in the past. This is maybe an argument that these forks are um, a sign of the brilliance of Bitcoin and they're not a failure. They mean competition among different visions and you can have bad leadership challenged by less bad leadership perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, I think the ultimate goal is to get to a point where, you know, the protocol is really not being changed that much. Um, and, uh, uh you know, most of the development and stuff like that is happening on top of, of, of the network. Steve, Derek made a, a case that it's kind of a mix of soft and hard, but that maybe, maybe there is a bootstrapping phase in which you need mm-hmm. to treat it like a, somebody drives it forward until it's of sufficient size that it can sort of be leaderless and unkillable, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable position. I mean, I'm not sure. I think the technology is a big enough deal and it's, it's superior enough that I think either system could work. So if the community fails, the community emergent, emergent idea fails, then I think um, there's still a chance Bitcoin can succeed if it's driven by one crazy person. Um, but if we're ever going to get to um, digital cash for the world, I think that system is kind of, I think it implies some type of level of uh, it being emergent. Like it can't be the Craig project forever. It can't be Roger's project forever. Um, it's got to be, uh, it's, it's, it's got to be useful enough for, for people to use. So I'm not sure. Maybe it does need a bootstrapping phase. I mean, the way I think about it is Bitcoin is going to scale one way or another. It just might not be BTC or BCH or BSV or any of the other crypto coins. You can kind of look at the Bitcoin invention as all cryptocurrencies, like the breakthrough of blockchain technology is valuable enough where eventually it's going to uh, be used a lot for international finance. And I'm, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say, to, it, it's nice to try to bet on the right chain, but it's hard to know, um, it's hard to feel confident on any particular one of them. But in, but in the long run, I think the blockchain will win out. TK, man. Yeah, you know, I think decentralization of power and leadership can never be your starting point. It's something that you have to work towards. It has to be the end um, because you have to start small. And I think that's that's the history of Bitcoin. So I, I, I agree with Derek's contention that it has to be kind of like a hard technology that moves towards softness, that it can't be the Ver project forever, the Craig project forever or what have you. And this is what I love about BSV because I believe with the the rhetoric, the emphasis on locking down the protocol, there is an acknowledgement there. There's a certain degree of trust right now, but we are moving towards an increasing degree of trustlessness. But do you think it was an error for Satoshi to say, here you go, 
I give it out to the world. I talk about it on forums for a couple of years and then it's yours. I'm out of here. No, I, I think the beauty and brilliance of Bitcoin is that it allows room for all different kinds of versions and interpretations of Bitcoin to fork off and emerge and to compete with each other. And the one true Bitcoin will be the one that actually wins. I don't think it's a debate that's philosophically settled, even though we all have our philosophical beliefs about it. I think the beauty is that the last chain standing will be the true Bitcoin because only the true Bitcoin can actually last over time. But Bitcoin allows room for different people to disagree about that and say, well, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. But the only one that can go from hard to soft is Satoshi's vision. Who could be a part of this world and not find it wildly entertaining? You know, last yeah. chain standing. It's like an action movie. Do you guys want to get go in and get in a last word and, and any self promo you want to send people to a website or anything? You, Steve, you look like you have a final thought you want to no, I just wanted to piggyback on what TK was saying. I mean, I, I think alternative history is a really uh, interesting thought experiment because if there wasn't the block size debate, I think we would have seen the emergent story win because there wasn't one person driving it forward. I mean, Satoshi was involved, Gavin did a good job, but it really was a kind of community thing that caught on in markets, it caught on in Silk Road, it was used in business, and then suddenly the price appreciated. And I think I think if we just didn't have that one Was the one block up, size debate inevitable? I, I don't know. I, I don't I know. Mean, it feels I'm, like yeah, subterfuge, hey, but so, with subterfuge inevitable. So we're already seeing it in Bitcoin Cash. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not saying there's going to be a fork, a split, not a fork, uh, but it, it looks like there's already only a year after the Bitcoin SV split, some more infighting happening within the different Bitcoin Cash developer groups. Maybe and, the white paper was like the 95 thesis and the Protestant Reformation, the break from the banking system. And now you will just see an infinite fractioning of denominations and versions. Uh, and the, the old Catholic church will be stronger than all of them. Couldn't you say that even if leaders shouldn't emerge, that they inevitably will emerge and that the best leaders are the ones who set up systems that render themselves irrelevant to some degree? I don't think should is the right term. I think it's... Uh, no, I'm saying even if you believe they shouldn't, like the question is not should they emerge, but the question is they definitely will emerge. And what type of what type of incentive structure do you want? And do you see it as like you would say someone proclaiming themselves a leader of the English language will tell you how to use it would just be a laughable notion. Whereas somebody proclaiming themselves to have a startup that has no leader and the vision just emerges from the users would also be sort of laughable, right? And so it's a, it's sort of a question of what which one of those is it closer to? Yeah, I think it's a system where leaders will inevitably emerge and the only leaders who will win will be the ones who set up a system that render themselves irrelevant. All right, guys, give us your final word. And uh, if people want to learn more about you, where do they go? So uh, my got a website, steve-patterson.com. Got a book, What's the Big Deal About Bitcoin? If people want to see. Well, thank you. Uh, it seems to have done pretty well. It's an it's introductory book. It's partly, partly painful probably to read now because it's very simple vision. It's very simple explanation. It's like, oh, yeah, of course the system's going to work. And then in reality, it's like, oh, no, this is not what happened at all. It's way more like dirty and messy and more humans involved than I think I understood at the time when I wrote the book. Um, yeah, I, I would say 
uh, what happened, the, the, the BTC split was incredibly illustrative. It, it taught us a bunch, people were learning, it taught us a bunch about how communities work, when the rhetoric starts changing, when people start becoming demonized, when um, <laughs> there was an exchange, well, I won't go into details, but um, uh, communities actually are very important. And right now, it is not helpful in BCH to pretend like there aren't community problems. There are. There are big ones. And we need to try to solve them and soon. Because there is a legitimate competitor, BSV, that's not going anywhere. I have no reason to believe it's going anywhere. It's got a passionate following. It's got some competent entrepreneurs and some competent devs that if we don't fix our problems in our community, our lunch, I think, could definitely be eaten by the only real competition out there, which, which is uh, big block Bitcoin. The other, only other big block Bitcoin is BSV. So. I, I agree with all that. Um... And, uh, yeah, your book is great. I mean, it is kind of sad to read. Um, it's kind of like, man, you know, if I were to give this to someone now, I would have to do so much ex explanatory work and like preparatory work to be like, yeah. okay, well, and they would probably wouldn't even want to read it after I, after I told yeah. them that. No, this I, vision I just, is all still possible, but it's just not working right now. So I was in the process of writing either a big update to the book or a new book. I had called the first fork from Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash. And then when the BSV split happened, I thought, well, shit, now I can't write uh, this yeah. book because I, first of all, it's not good for big block Bitcoin. Like I don't want to make the, I don't want to explain big block Bitcoin and be like, oh, it's this great superior technology, but actually there's a fork and there's two big block Bitcoins and then there's this guy, Craig, and there's this lawsuits going on. It's like, better not to say anything because it doesn't, doesn't make a good case. Well, it's also very like, like it's one, you know, when you're explaining Bitcoin Cash and BTC, it's just one step removed. You can kind of make a fairly, you know, easy case to how, okay, Bitcoin Cash is really like how it used to be. You don't need to explain a whole lot more, but then when you get BSV into the woodwork, it's like it becomes really confusing because I agree with you. I was going to do a whole like uh, Bitcoin uh, kind of resource page on my website, like update it because I had the one during Bitcoin Cash and it was really popular. But I, I started to struggle to figure out how to even update it in a way. We just that spent makes, two hours on it, and I still don't exactly know what's going on here. Yeah, like in a way that would actually like for a newbie to be able to come in and be like, like, how do I make sense of any of this? Right. You know. Um, yeah, and it doesn't help. The mudslinging does not help from either side. There, there really is. I, I, there are not too many people, especially in BCH right now, who are willing to say, of course, there are reasonable minds in BSV. We were all part of the same community. We all disagreed with the core cult. Like, there are good ideas in BSV. There are good ideas in BCH. There are actually a couple of, maybe two good ideas in BTC. And yet, because things are so polarized in, in all the communities, there's just not a lot of rational dialogue going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to, that will lead into my point. My closing statement is just like, you know, given all this uncertainty and, and, and whatnot, I think the only rational thing to do is to try to hold both forks and, and not put yourself in a position where you can lose. Um, you know, I don't want to be in that position. I, I, I'd rather be wrong in what I say and be right in the end and, and what I say and think ultimately, but be right in, in how my investment plays out. And, and this is, I think right now, the best way to do it. Now, in the future, you know, in February, when, when BSV, I think, does its other fork. And then now it's supposed to be the final fork, but we'll, we'll see if that is actually going to be the final fork or if there's going to be more in the future and how many more. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of waiting till then until I, I, I kind of, you know, consider what my, my investment position is. But if you're someone looking at this, I mean, I think, I think it's irrational to sell a hundred percent of either coin right now. I mean, that, that's, that's my vision. It's, it's irrational to do it. There's no reason to do it, especially like if you're on BCH side right now, hedging with BSV is like really cheap. You can buy 10 BSV for like 1500 bucks right now, which is not that much money, you know, given the potential payoff, you know, it's not going to ruin your life necessarily. You can buy five, you know, pretty cheaply, you know? And, and so, um, uh, right now that that's, that's where I'm at. And I think, I think that's the rational position to be in. TK is like, forget that all in on the SV wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You know, um, I think more important than anything else is if some form of private market decentralized currency wins, we all win. And, and, I, and I think something that's lost in all the infighting between blockchains is, is this idea that just about anything that's on the table fighting it out right now is better than the system that we already have. I mean, I don't believe in fiat, but I buy my groceries with it. I work my butt off to get it in return. I'd much rather those efforts be rewarded by something that is, um, in, you know, inflation resistant and decentralized and more secure and so forth. Um, this is why to go off on a really brief tangent, I think it's funny that people in BSV act as if Roger Ver is going to be completely embarrassed if BSV happens to win. And it's like, you don't know what his holdings are. You don't know what his position is. I mean, there is a sense in which he might win more than anybody that's talking about BSV, even if he never gives his public endorsement. So I think we need to def- broaden our definition of what it means to win. Um, I, love, I love that people said the other day, they were speculating that like Bitcoin.com may have sold at the height of the market in 2017 and like into a stable coin. And I have no idea. I don't like to speculate on those kind of things. I think public speculation is like, especially about that kind of stuff is just wrong. But I, my thought, I was like, man, I hope he did that. That would be so cool. <laughs> that would have like maximized economic power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That there's also a criticism of uh, one of the implementations is Bitcoin Unlimited and they have Bitcoin holdings. They hold, I don't know, like 90% yeah. you see something like that. And uh, some people in the BCH community are crapping on them. They're like, oh, they should sell all of it for BCH. And I'm thinking, okay, well... I, I get that, that you want to have skin in the game and the coin that you're trying to develop on, okay. But if people listen to that strategy, they would have like 90% less funds. Like yeah. They're actually not in a bad economic state because they made better decisions than people who are maybe a little bit more dogmatic. Yeah, I mean, anytime a community is, is and this is what we saw in BTC, which is one of the biggest red flags for me, is anytime they're demanding you behave irrationally or sort of sacrifice yourself for the good of the chain, I, I think that's a horrible sign. You know, when Jameson Lop goes out there, it's like, I'm going to be dumping all my coins right now to make a statement. I'm like, that's just, that's just dumb. You wouldn't do that with any other investment. <laughs> it is a social signal to prove uh, loyalty to the one true faith, which I no, just find. Let me assume creepy. more risk. Let me take on more risk. Like that's, that's, that's. The CEO selling all of his shares so he can like work for the company in a more. Yeah. Oh, the light, the light. Oh my gosh. That was absurd. Okay. Sorry, TK. We hijacked it. Yeah. So for me, I am a a BSV maximalist precisely because of this expanded concept of winning. And here's what I mean. Like, let's say BSV bottoms out and BCH wins. I'm not going to be sitting here embarrassed (laughs) like, oh, TK lost because he was all in on BSV. No, I have a better form of money that I can go to work for, right? I'm still going to care about money in the future world. But for me, interest precedes profitability. What I mean by that is, if you're going to invest in something, 
you want to invest in something that you're not going to be bored with, that you're going to be motivated to get really smart about, that you're going to enjoy evaluating and reading about and learning about every day. You want to invest in things for which it remains impossible for you to become stupid. You know, um, it, so like I can put money in real estate if I just care about material gains, but Bitcoin SV makes me excited to read about monetary theory, makes me excited to learn about computer science, makes me excited to study philosophy. And for me, in a world where you can invest in a lot of different things for profitability, I'm going to zoom in on those things that are so interesting and exciting that they compel, compel me to make even, even bigger investments in my knowledge. Because at the end of the day, even if BSV were to lose, I would still come out a major winner because BSV is the only thing in the crypto space that captures my curiosity so much that it makes me a little bit smarter every single day about all of these topics we talk well, about. I'll hold, I'll hold a Bitcoin Cash for you. I'll, I'll mark it off just in case. <laughs> and then I'll buy you. If, if Bitcoin Cash does win, which I think is less likely than Bitcoin SV right now, if Bitcoin Cash does win, I'll, I'll buy you a castle or something like that with that. <laughs> this this is also, <clears throat> Go ahead, Steve. So I just wanted to say this is also um, one of those... M- true marketing facts about getting involved in in Bitcoin is the best position is to be involved before BTC split because then you have BTC and you have BCH and you have BSV. So that's one of those things where like this this is easy. It's very easy to speculate being a a long-term holder where I have roughly the similar amounts of uh, BCH and BSV. And it's like, Actually, probably what would be better for me and for maybe for everybody in the industry is for one of them to die. Yeah. Like if we could just get everybody back on one chain, get the relevant players back on one chain. Yeah, some percentage of my holdings will go down, but that other percentage, man, is going to go through the roof. Both BSV and BCH have such potential upsides being the only bit block Bitcoin. It's not even funny. It's like, you, you know, 100x is, is nothing at these current prices. Yeah. Isn't Calvin going to take care of BTC for you pretty soon? I hope, man. I'm ready for it. The rumors are spreading. That's a bull case for big block Bitcoin. Hey guys, this was awesome. We went for a marathon session, but I think it was a a lot of fun. And uh, thanks to all three of you. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for putting it on. Let's see. Let me just stop the recording. Can I stop smiling now? Yeah. (laughs)